Before we get rolling on today's show, PTF here, just to encourage you to subscribe to the In The Money Media free newsletter, the best way to stay on top of all the content we've got coming down the pike throughout the Triple Crown season and beyond. Very easy to sign up, and it's free. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash email. That's InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash email. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for the races of Saturday, May 14th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. Matt Bernier is not here. He is on paternity leave in his stead to open up the show with me. We bring in a man who, for so many years, has been the regular co-host of this program. He is coming to us from, I think, maybe the Bahamas, but far from Planet Texas. He is... Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? Oh, we get a stuck on mute right out of the box. I love it. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? I, I am. I'm in the Bahamas. Um, had to do some wedding planning. So we, we came down right after the derby um, and, and we're down here getting ready, ready for a little uh, celebration next year. So we're just trying to put some things in place. And yes, we did other things besides wedding planning while we were here. A couple of uh, Miami Vices. That's my my new my new drink of choice when that? sitting by water. It's just a pina colada and a strawberry daiquiri mixed together. <laughs> <laughs> a mashup as it were. Yeah. So we've been hanging out and um, they got a sports book here that I haven't attacked yet, but I'm thinking about maybe trying to pop in. This is obviously going to air after for the pick six today and just try to hit the pick six Bahama style uh, Thursday, a little carryover at Belmont. So we'll see. You know, we got to start doing carryover shows for Belmont. We've got like, an immense amount of them to do in our deal with them. Probably should have done one for today. Got lost in the pre this madness. This will be completely irrelevant to people who are listening to this on, on, on Friday, by the way. But anyway, just as a note, production meeting in the middle of the show. When we see carryovers, let's start pouncing on them. You don't necessarily have to do the show, but it can slip through the cracks for me in a busy week. So uh, holler at me. And, and 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 that's right, ladies, not to bury the lead. If you, if you hadn't heard already, JK crossed off the, uh, the most eligible bachelor list. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk derby and you and i have not spoken about this except in a couple of cynical text messages now i've described my journey from complete frustration slash feeling insulted because of the way we've chosen to spend our our, our lives as as gamblers and analysts by this result i've sort of come around to the idea that anything that promotes racing that makes racing look interesting that gets national attention for racing is good and i've also quoted the professional poker player uh, whom i interviewed many years ago who said that when she gets rivered by a two-outer you know when these terrible things happen or unpredictable things happen or random things happen rather than get upset she just takes a deep breath and says that's okay because people play, if I put myself in those positions, if other people get lucky, that money is eventually going to flow back my way. That's the way I am now choosing to look at this year's Kentucky Derby result. 
I sense just from talking to you for 12 seconds off air on the topic that you, you still might be in that feeling insulted by the r- result stage. No, no. So, so to back up a little bit, my, my derby day was, 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 was wild. Right. So because we had this, so bear with me for a little storytelling because we had this pending trip, we, you know, I'm going to Preakness. We had to go this week to plan. So we had the dog with us in, in Lexington. We had to get back to Saratoga to drop the dog off and then get down to the city to go to the Bahamas. So we had to leave on Derby Day from Kentucky. We had a flight at 7 a.m. We woke up at 5.16 to find out that our flight was canceled. It was going to get back to Saratoga by noon so that I could catch the couch and watch Derby Day and enjoy the entire day. We got rerouted, had to go to Cincinnati, then had to fly from Cincinnati to uh, from Cincinnati to, to, to Atlanta, Atlanta home, just a nightmare. And so, so once I finally got home, I watched the Derby in the back of an Uber on my phone. <laughs> and so all, I was already annoyed by how it was all going down, you know, just unlu- unlucky situation, but I watched the Derby like that. Um, and being alive to Zandon for, I don't know if I've said it before, but it was like about $75,000, at the end of the day with with the with the future wager, but then also with some exactas that I forgot that I had bet, $15 exactas I forgot I'd bet in the first pool with Epicenter and, and Mo Donegal. Oh, Jesus. So as they turn for home, I'm feeling like it's going to go one way or the other. It's going to go 10 it had to. And we had to, Zandon was going to pass Epicenter, and then when Epicenter dug in, Epicenter was going to come. That and then what the hell's that down at the rail? And so I'm wearing the car, watching it. Me, Rigatoni, and Jovanina, and we're and we get we get beat right as we kind of pull up to the restaurant to like hang out with the family and watch. We were going to watch the race there. So everyone else is obviously overly disappointed. You and I, and the people that are listening most, are are. are tried and true horse players where you can, you can shake it off and turn the page pretty well, but everyone else is so devastated. It kind of sucked me into the trap for a minute and a half. And then I realized to myself, this is what makes the game great. This is why the Derby is special is because random ridiculous horses that will never win again can sometimes win the race. (laughs) And that's honestly why you wake up in the morning knowing you have the best horse or you or, or, or betting American Pharaoh or justify or betting uh, if you liked authentic or wh- whoever you, you wake up every morning on Derby day. And no matter how good your horse is, you're still nervous because there's that thing in the back of your head that reminded you that random never win again, horses can beat you. And that's what makes it exciting when they run by you for the first time. That's what makes it exciting when they turn for home. And that's why, the race is so special. So although it's annoying, it's part of it. And the page is turned and it is what it is. Well, you you have some strong opinions about this horse. So, so I'll just interject right away. You say Rich Strike will never win again. He's going to look pretty good in the claiming crown, JK. Well, yeah. Yeah, no joke, right? Because he's running for 30. He could qualify. Um, you know, you know, and I know we'll kind of turn the page in a second, but he He's going to be a takeout reducer for at least a little while. Uh, there's going to be another takeout reducer in the Preakness. Whoever you like in the Preakness to bet to win, you're going to get value on because those two horses are going to be your takeout reducers in the wind pool. You're I'm not referring to the Philly Secret Oath or you're referring yeah. to Simplification? Secret Oath. 
Okay. We'll get, let's stay with Rich Strike for a minute because, you know, I've been making the anti case. So now I have a chance to play a little bit of devil's advocate and just say, look, I mean, I'm teasing about the Claiming Crown. Obviously, this horse, you know, he's going to try. He'll, he'll go with, it'd be very unlikely for him to turn up there because I think, you know, they, they'll, they'll try to find, they'll try to find obviously graded stake spots. And, you know, I mean, I can't say he has zero chance in the in in the preakness there is some world in which the way that he finished you know the figure that he ran that that he you know somehow trips out again but i mean yeah it's a one in 15 chance to me and obviously he's going to be way lower than that so I'm, I'm i mean i'm with you but i mean we've seen the impossible for it we don't we go back to mind that bird okay mind that bird i would have told you all the same things. Now I know mine that bird had better form than uh, than Rich Strike coming in, but it, it still seemed impossible to me that he'd even hit the board, or at least it, it maybe he could have been third. But you know, in the in the Rachel Alexandra 2009, I think it was um, Preakness, it, that horse was not supposed to run well, and he was just so sharp coming off that big effort that he didn't manage to put in a big run. You don't see that. You clearly don't see that scenario at all. But I'm curious as to why. Like, what what's the big difference between mind that bird and 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 Rich Strike to you? Well, Rachel set it up for him in that race a little bit. I mean, he did yes. run well. Don't get me wrong. Um, he he did run well in, in the previous. I don't want to take that away from him. But sure. I mean, I can't. I can't. There's no argument to that point. Could he be mind that bird? Yeah, I, I guess he could be mind that bird. Um, I just think that he got. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm basically saying the same thing for Mind That Bird. He got a extremely – I'm talking about Rich Strike – got an extremely fast pace to close into and one of the most brilliant rides you'll ever see. So, on in any day of the week, I don't care if it's Wednesday at, at Aqueduct or, or, or Monday at Mahoney Valley, if you're looking at a race where a horse got a huge pace set up and the best ride you've ever seen, this is a horse you're not, you're not betting moving forward. And when it's a Derby winner, they're going to bet the horse. Um, I just don't think he'll ever win. I mean, look, I mean, maybe he'll win another race, just some, but he's never going to win another race that means much. He's just not that good, and he got a perfect scenario on that day. He'll never run that fast in a figure again because he'll never get sucked along in a pace that fast against those good horses with that dream trip. Yeah. Um, he just Nothing in his form had ever suggested he wanted to run a number that was that fast. No, for sure. I mean, it was one of the, it was the, as I had said, I'm sure I've used this line on air before. So forgive me if listeners, if you've heard it, but JK, I don't know if I've said it to you. My line on ABR was if that thing should somehow win, it'll be the biggest upset in Kentucky Derby history. Never been so right. And so wrong at the same time. And to your point, and, and you know, I mentioned mine, that bird who never won another race after the Kentucky Derby. I mean, he ran a winning race, I would say. Yeah, in yeah he ran well in both, the, the, the Preakness and the Belmont, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So Yeah, he did. He had a triple-digit figure in both those races. They were races that could have won it in another year. But I think you make a good point about Rachel burning off all the speed, and and there you go. Let's talk about some of the other runners coming out of the Kentucky yeah, Derby. Just, just, a, just one more good note. Please. Not only did Rachel set fast fractions, she dueled with and set fast fractions over the eventual Breeders' Cup sprint champion in big drama. So it, 
It was a real pace that he closed into that day. Yes. How good was she, by the way? Nobody ever mentions that aspect of Rachel. The, 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 that's a great point about the form line, the big drama. Let's talk about the second and third place finishers. I assume you are with me, JK, that Epicenter was best in the race and that it wasn't close. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zayn didn't really have an excuse, in my opinion. He got bumped a little bit at the start, but he got a really good ride. You know, I guess maybe you can make the argument – now, now, stay with me. I don't. I don't want. I don't think Flavian should have done anything different in that race with that horse in in the, in the Kentucky Derby. I have no problem with being more aggressive. We've talked about that on the show. I, if I'm going to err, err on the side of aggression. I do think Flav probably moved a tad early into a hot pace. Hindsight being 2020, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If we go back, I wouldn't want him to do something different necessarily. I just think looking at it in hindsight, that's probably what happened. Um, they both ran inefficiently. To me, the Epicenter ran even more inefficiently, though. Yes, Epi- but yeah. Epicenter was – so Epicenter I thought was best. Epicenter um, is the type of horse that if he was running in the Preakness, I haven't really looked at a lot of problems. He's running in the Preakness, I'd single him, you know, type of yeah, deal. Yeah, he is. He is running. Yeah, I, also he'll be – based on see who else shows up, he'll be a dead single for me because early voting will probably be in there. He'll sit off early voting. And, and then we also talked about this – you tweeted about it in a different way when you said that the pace next year in the Derby yeah. is going to be opposite that, but that also happens in the Preakness. Yeah. When it's a meltdown, remember Oxbow part of a meltdown in the Derby. Yeah. And then walked on the front end in the Preakness Shackleford. Same. And then, you know, so I, I, that happens, you know, everyone's going to be very nervous about that and they're going to go slower than they did in the Derby and epicenters was a set of beautiful trip. Yeah. Um, so saying now this is crazy to me. I mean, not crazy, surprising that Zandon is still under consideration for the Preakness. I, I mean, look, he's a good horse, but I see personally absolutely no reason for him to finish ahead of Epicenter. I mean, I thought he went there to win the race and, and Epicenter turned him away with the worst trip. And my gut, just my horse player gut watching Zandon is he just probably doesn't want to go quite that far. Um. Yeah, I mean – I'm not sure. We'll see about uh, we'll see uh, about that. I, I I do think that Epicenter's best. And if I was if I was you know putting my previous ticket together right now, obviously pending the draws and all those things, I would be singling Epicenter and using Zandon as a, as a lone B. One of those types of situations where, um, you know, I just think I, I just think that that Epicenter ran the best race. He was arguably the best horse going in. I just hated his draw down on the inside because I felt like it was going to kind of force him into some situations that I think it forced him into. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to happen, but if he's outside, he doesn't have to necessarily, he's probably still close, but he doesn't necessarily have to be as. I think he wins the race. I think he wins the race if he's drawn outside. I really do. And it didn't play out the way I thought it would, where he got really sucked into the early pace. And this is no criticism of Rosario at all. I thought he did. I mean, obviously you want to talk about rides in the Derby. You could talk about, Sonny Leon playing Frogger on the winner all day long. It was brilliant. It was like nothing I've ever seen, but lost in all the appreciation for the Sonny Leon ride to me is what a great job Rosario did to, to be able to, to not get caught into that pace still sort of circumstantially, I think had to move too early, but it was, I think it was still brilliant that he got him in the position he was in. And if drawn outside, I just think he would have had more choices, been able to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more in the clear. Is that fair? Yeah. And that, that's what I, that's what I say. And I, I think even Andy and I have kind of, well, have we, 
yeah, we've kind of disagreed about this at times about being drawn inside or drawn outside. Like for me, like, yes, good things can happen when you're drawn outside, but there's more options when you're drawn outside. I said, did I say that wrong? When you're drawn inside. Instead of backwards. Good things can happen inside, inside, but you have options. But when you're outside, you need options you in the derby. You need options. I, I mean, I, I firmly, I firmly believe that. And it all depends. It depends on the racetrack too. I mean, this is a, this is a course Churchill Downs historically. Now I'm not talking about on Saturday necessarily, but historically, there's a lot of days at Churchill Downs where you, you for, and I can't really explain the physics of this. It must have to do with banking and the way that the, the specifics of the surface is. But there's a lot of days where four wide isn't a disadvantage at Churchill Downs. The four wide trip rail trip can basically play the same. It's unusual in, in horse racing, but I mean, we've seen it an awful lot. So for a race like the Derby, yeah, that outside draw, I mean, to me would be, I'd go so far as to call it uh, coveted. Yeah, no, I'd much, I'd much rather be in the clear going a mile and a quarter and then, then getting stopped, you know, because if you get stopped, you lose all that momentum. Richie says it all the time. Horses don't have gas pedals and brake pedals. You can't just brake and then hit the gas again. There's momentum involved. And so for me, if you get stopped in the Derby, now you have to get back to it. It's just, it's a lot. And I'd rather be in the clear. Let's hear your thoughts on some of the other Derby also rands. I'll just let, I'm not going to, I can throw horses at it if you want to play it that way, but who leaps to mind that you feel, you know, interested in either, oh my gosh, what a disappointment or wow, that horse had a trip and I'm interested to bet him the next time in the right spot. Kind of. Um, I thought, uh, you know, just on, I'm glad you asked me this. This will be quick ones that I haven't fully thought about. I'm just to give you my initial re- reactions. I thought Tiber ran a little bit worse than I thought he would run. I thought maybe the figure would at least carry him to beat half the field. Uh, but maybe that's what happens when you try to win the race. And with a horse like that, you just kind of, you know, whatever. Um, I thought, um, <laughs> I love Brad Cox, but I was happy to see, Never mind. Um, Barbara Road, I thought, ran better than I thought the Oakland Forum was going to perform. Agreed. Now, but keep in mind, before we start getting excited about that and wanting to bet him in the Preakness or bet him in the in, in, in the Belmont if he shows up in either one of those, he got a setup too, right? So I think he's. I think the form was propped up based on him, you know, getting that that setup. Um, I he's an interesting was- minor Derby horse to me. He's just such a hard trier and a likable horse, Barbara Road. I just don't think he has the talent to hang with the best of 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 this. Of yeah, this cross, you know, exactly. He's a he'll, he'll win the Oklahoma Derby or something. And I yeah, he's I a fighter, though. Cool horse. Um, I thought Modonagal ran fine, right? I mean, he got like fifth or sixth, didn't he? Yeah, he ran fifth. And this, he's an interesting one. If you are a ground loss believer, you can really conjure a case that 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 he's okay. Um, it's just, and it's funny. I, I'd love to hear your 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 opinion as that when when he comes back. I feel like Irad was just unlucky. I mean, if you told me that what happened was going to happen with a big closer making a rail run to win the Derby, I, I'd have said a hundred out of a hundred that it was uh, that it was going to be uh, Mo Donegal being the big closer up the rail. But I feel like circumstances just conspired, and I mean, Irad literally came ten wide. I think yeah. so. If you want to give him any extra credit for that. Uh, it looked he looked a little flat in the lane, but given how much farther he'd run, I, I I'm keeping him on side going forward. Yeah, and then what? Uh, I guess the other one that kind of got a little buzzy and took some money. I was never really fully involved with 
um, Messier? Would he split the field, or did he go? He went. No, he back. bombed out, but he made he was uh, he made the front. He won right. the. I guess he was best of speed. Um, yeah, yeah. If you want to, yeah, because Epicenter was too far back for me to call him best of speed. Yeah. So Messier, Messier, if he were to go in the Belmont, has a Palace Malice kind of look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love those Derby speed and fades are the best. Like like you said, Palace Malice. You know, Oxbow wasn't was got his done in the Preakness, but those Derby speed and fades are, are definitely useful. Yeah, it was that form with mine was surprisingly bad out of Santa Anita Derby, but I think it could be argued that it's circumstantial. Now, Taba to me never looked good. I think that theory that I had put forth about, you know, and you know, I'm not, this isn't redboarding. I, I argued both sides of it. I said, I'm using on figures, but I worry that the too much too soon, the owner picked spot that it all just catches up with him in Louisville. And that's exactly what it looked like. So I think you can excuse that for that. And then Messi, I think you can just excuse because of the pace. So I don't think those horses, either one of them are that bad, but uh, obviously the form line looks like crud after, if you just look at the chart, who else do you have any thoughts on uh, coming out of there, positive or negative simplification was one yeah. who outran his odds and, and will be coming back in, in Baltimore. But I mean, for me, very much of a setup, but you know, cool horse. Yeah, you know, you had a lot of really nice works um, down in Florida and leading up to this. I just didn't think he was good enough from a speed figure standpoint, but they're, they're all good enough if they get the right scenario. That's, and that's that's horse racing, right? It's like, like uh, it, you know, they're all good enough if they get the scenario that's right. And so that simplification got that. Barbara Road got that. The winner, Rich Strike, got that. You know what I mean? So it's like you get, you know – so that, that's that's but that's also what's great about the games. What kind of keeps you coming back is trying to find to look at the puzzle and say this horse who doesn't appear to be good enough. The public isn't treating as good enough. The horse is 20 to one. But today he's going to get a situation that works for him. Everyone who's listening has found that one horse that one time. And it's it's a great feeling. There's a phrase and a saying I'll bring up. So, so, and this is more of an English phrase, but it translates perfectly to American. And I use it, but I haven't heard too many other people use it. The idea of conditions that are going to see a horse to his best effect, hmm. you know, and, and that, and that's the idea. The pace can allow you to be seen to your best effect, or it can allow you to be seen to your worst effect. And, and that's why, why do slow horses beat fast horses tortoise and the hare style, like we saw in the Kentucky Derby it's because of extreme pace scenarios. You'll see big, long shot, you know, big, long shot wiring. You'll see a big, long shot coming from last. I mean, they're a disproportionate amount of cap horses to bring in a term from the contest world are going to be produced by extreme pace scenarios. But then as we move forward, and I know you and I, look, there are situations where even this Derby, I talked about playing it for a meltdown. It's one of the reasons why I thought of Zandon, um, a Zandon Modonagal exacta was so likely uh, you'll play it for a pace scenario, but woof, when it comes to reaching for these horses that, you know, maybe have a glimmer of uh, you know, a good example, rich strike um, had, and, and this amazes me, JK. I don't even know if you saw this. If you look at that, that time form late pace rating actually had the highest one in the field, which is just shocking to me. Now, uh, listener uh, uh, Paul Cush pointed out that he just thought that was completely ineffective, the horse coming from synthetic races and, and, and allowing that to happen. But, you know, then the other part of this is, okay, so why don't you, you know, put out more of these speculative wild long shots that can maybe win 
you know, if X, Y, and Z happen. And, and it brings to mind the great Damon Runyon quote, the race is not always to the swift nor the battle to the strong, but that's the way to bet. And I think that speaks exactly to the way you and I look at the world, especially in our job as analysts, but also as betters. I don't want to think, oh, if X, Y, Z, then maybe, you know, this 20 to one shot can get involved. You know, it, that's just not, I don't think it's our job, especially as analysts to look at the world that way. Um, look, sometimes it comes, it's not like we never pick wild long shots. We, we both had uh, plenty of them come up on, on both TV and the podcast over the years, but it's not my starting point. I, 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 and I know you feel similarly in terms of how you approach trying to pick, pick horses in this game. No, it's not my starting point or my ending point. I'm not, I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't have, I don't have, I'm not insecure enough as an analyst and like a whatever pundit or whatever that I need to like justify myself by giving you a bunch of 12 to one shots that run third. Like, I don't know. I don't care if you don't want to bet a four to five shot I give you, then bet the one you like. That's why we play this game. And I, I don't even, I, I, they would rather race again. I wouldn't bet rich strike. So <laughs> that's why, that's why I don't give, a lot of people, there's a lot of people that there's a lot of Twitter warriors that think that we're supposed to sit up here and give people 20 to one shots all the time because that's a positive EV play. But it's only a positive EV play if you're playing all the time. And the people who are listening to us typically aren't playing all of it. You know, they're, you know, they're making their own opinions, right? Or whatever. Sure, they're listening to us for ideas. I don't, you know. You know, you got me fired up, Pete. I, I, I like it. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to, I just, I don't, I, I doesn't even cross my mind. But you pick, the other thing is when it is, you're predicting an extreme pace setup or you have negative opinions on a favor, you absolutely will reach for Oh, no, I'll pick a, I will pick a long shot if I think a long shot can win, yeah. but I'm not going to, to think that Zandon can win, bet Zandon to win, and then give you rich strike because, I'm scared you're going to say I'm picking chalk. It's ridiculous. Well, I mean, yeah. also, there's plenty of 20 to 1s, plenty of and, – and Rich Strike's a great example of this. 80 to 1 is an underlay on the horse. I mean, what he paid in the exacta, which I didn't even believe when I first heard it, is much more representative of his value, 200 to 1. Honestly, I, I think he was probably more like 800 to 1. I mean, I'm really serious here. No, this, no. this was really an insane upset. So to, there's not – just because a horse is a long shot doesn't mean that the horse is value. I mean, we, we say this all the time. There's much better value to me on a horse that's going to win 50% of the time that's three to two than yeah. there is on a horse that's 25 to one that should be 15 to one. It's just math. I bet an even I bet an even money shot, Marshall Graham and I both did, maybe about a month ago, that is the best value I've had all year yeah. in Lone Rock. Yep. I don't know how the hell they let that horse go off at even money. <laughs> he had a horrible trip and barely won, but the, the, the free money. Yeah, People Bucks, don't understand. They miss the term misvalue. Uh, the term value might be the most misused in all of horse racing. Let's bring it back to the winner. Just got a couple minutes left here before I uh, I will spring you. The, the, the one, you know, so it felt like a kick in the teeth, the whole thing. And then I got kicked in the teeth all over again when I was doing my post-race analysis, and I went back and really looked at his breeding. You, you know what I'm talking about here. The keen eyes? 
Keen Ice, the horse who famously stuffed us into a locker, cost us tens of thousands of dollars in one of the biggest, one of the other biggest upsets in horse racing that I've ever seen. Have you seen the joke going around about the about the Keen Ice family reunion? No, no, where's it at? It was something to the effect of Keen Ice saying to Rich Strike, you know, son, you know, no, no pressure, but I pulled one of the biggest upsets in horse racing history and Rich Strike turning to dad and saying, hold my beer. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they're both pretty shocking. Uh, <laughs> they're both pretty shocking. Keen Ice was actually an okay horse, though. He had won some okay races. and, oh, and he, sure. was kinda, he was also like a buzz, like a buzzy horse for lots of people on that Triple Crown year. There's people that liked him in the Derby. They liked him, you know, I'm pretty sure he ran back in the Preakness or if it was the Belmont. They, they always liked that horse. So not too shocking. Yeah, he was third in the Belmont, second in the Haskell. I mean, he had good form. It was just, I mean, he was only 16 to one. It was more, I think, the historical weight of, uh, and you know, what, what what we all knew how good American Pharaoh was that that contributed to the, the contributed yeah, triple, to that triple crown winner. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was indeed shocking. But on the math, it wasn't anywhere near the type of upset. I just thought it was funny, and yeah, I mean, the just very ironic to to see Keen Ice continuing to to kick the old teeth in at this point. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, what did he do? I, here's the funny thing: he only won one more race after the after the Travers Keen Ice, which I didn't realize. But his body of work was good, and he and he yep. and he tried every time. You know, he was a cool horse. We'll, we'll see if it works out nearly as well for his son. Any closing thoughts, JK, before we let you out of here and get back to uh, life in the Bahamas? No, they're, they're giving us free breakfast. So I'm about to go down here and attack a waffle real quick. I love it. You do that. Uh, those of you watching on YouTube, we'll, we'll post the other part of the show. If you're listening, it's just going to continue. We'll keep it rocking on the In the Money Media Network. Next up on the show, it's the return of our Naira Pick 6 segments. Very excited about this and always excited to have with me a man whose work you read on InTheMoneyPodcast.com and uh, various other places. You hear him behind the mic at Sam Houston. Nick Tamaro, what's up, my man? Doing great, my friend. Good to be with you. Glad to be talking about these Pick 6s. And we're now headed towards the Belmont Stakes. Four weeks to go. Not too bad, is it? And we'll get to see you in town as well, which I'm excited about. This sequence kicks off with race number six. Carded for the turf. It should be on the turf. We've had some good weather here in New York. I should knock when I say that because you never know. But three and up, fillies and mares, an allowance race going one mile. How do you want to light this candle, my friend? You know, one of the horses that I was really taken by last year, um, and I think a lot of people were, when she broke her maiden last summer at Saratoga, was Baby Blythe, who comes back off a layoff here for Shug He ended up running in the Jockey Club Oaks Invitational off of that big effort and had the misfortune of running into Shantasara, who, uh, of course, came right back to win the grade one QE2 at Keeneland. So there was really no doubt that that baby Blythe's performance could be attributed to the quality of the competition that day. And I think she's very interesting coming back off the layoff. A mile is probably a little short for what she ultimately wants to do, but I think choosing this spot for Shug McGay, he shows some real intent. And so I, I was, I was pretty intrigued by her. She's going to be my top pick. Uh, the obvious horses also are, look like includes in the pick six, lay the groundwork in Balakwa, uh, lay the groundwork getting to turf for the first time. They tried last time out. It was rained onto the synthetic. This is uh, there's plenty of turf pedigree there with the, on the dam side. And Chad Brown wins turf races with horses with no pedigree all the time. Anyway, um, Balakwa is first time in America for Graham motion. I have felt like even though his numbers have kind of slid with these types, 
they've historically run better when Graham has had them a while. So it looks like he's had Balakwa for at least a couple of months. And I think she'll pack up a pretty decent punch first time out. I wonder if Flavian Pratt will take advantage of there being a pretty, pretty short amount of speed in here with Miss Bella Chow, maybe the only pace type and put lay the ground more close to the lead. It's an interesting race. Now I chose to take on baby Blythe in my original reckoning of the race, just thinking maybe she needs it. Maybe it's too sharp. And because of that lack of pace, you mentioned this all led me around to wanting to take a shot with number seven, angel palm. This horse ran terribly on the U S debut, but I thought there was a litany of excuses, a 200 day layoff. The way she wasn't bet in the market tells you that nothing was really expected. The trip was probably too sharp and she didn't break well. So I was thinking on the stretch out with a clean break, maybe a chance to wire this group or at least be, you know, up and in it throughout 12 to one morning line. Who knows if that'll appear, but this is a horse that I, I definitely want in my reckoning. I agree with you completely about the five Balacqua um, motion, even with, as you mentioned, cooling in this stat in the last few years still does very well with the first time imports and just, just, just solid form overseas that I think makes her a good fit. One other I wanted to mention was the number 10 runner who is called Caroni. And this is a horse who is a little bit interesting based on that old angle that we talk about all the time on these shows. If you look at the figures that she was running at two and project improvement for uh, the, the potential that she's trained on, she could be the fastest filly in the race. So I was going to mess around seven, five, and 10. I definitely, if there are ways to include without uh, breaking the bank, uh, baby Blythe, I'll, I'll probably try to try to do that as well. Do you buy my case on Angel Palm at all, Nick? Yeah, distance wise was the only question for me. I mean, Brad's kind of giving up quickly on a horse that not giving up. He's stretching out a horse that really had been most effective sprinting. But hey, I mean, it's one thing we've learned over the years that sprinters in Europe can generally go eight to nine furlongs in America without issue. So I don't blame you for giving her another shot. It, it also uh, felt to me early in the Keeneland meet like making up ground on the turf was not the best idea. So I think she deserves maybe one more chance. It ends up being a pretty wide open race to get things started. Yeah. For me, those straightaway sixes are almost like a two turn type. Yeah. Line. I so hear you. Hopefully, hopefully that will be okay from my, from my point of view. Let's talk about the seventh race, three and up New York bread allowance types going seven on the dirt in this spot. St. Selby looked extremely logical to me in this spot, coupled with, uh, with geography um, but St. Selby, I just thought looked like the potential best speed, had some very good figures overall. There are um, mixed signals because this is a runner, you know, on one hand on form terms, just ahead from being undefeated. But also there there is a vet scratch in the mix, which also gives me pause. But the last work signals readiness and uh, St. Selby, he's one that I want. The nine, seven lilies I thought was interesting. Tactical foot, plenty of finish. And this horse, I thought just shows an admirable consistency overall. And then my goofy one to throw in is an old favorite, Brew Pub. I just feel like there's excuses for the last couple of runs for a horse that's going to be a monster price. So, yeah, I was going to try to get out uh, with the entry one, nine, and eight. How do you see this one? Yeah, I, I agree with you on uh, on pretty much every account. The interesting thing here will be how the pace shakes out because St. Selby is the main speed on paper. It wasn't long ago that Foolish Ghost was a very, very strong one-way type of speed. So whether he still has that kind of early energy anymore really is the main question because he could juice this thing up quite a bit. Listen to Your Heart was really at his best when he showed speed as well. 
So there are a couple of horses that could keep him a little bit honest early, then factor in that Mass Marauder came up with this gigantic effort last time out from God knows where and did it, um, you know, from, from off the pace. Uh, but both that one and Bronx Bomber, who also won for Rudy Rodriguez around the same stretch of time, Bronx Bomber went wire to wire. And he had kind of become more of an off the pace type. I think you can rely on him sitting back to make one run. All that said, I mean, the morning line favorite seven lilies is a horse that seems to, to really run every single time. Looks like a horse that's going to be pretty tough to hold off late. I love the slight cutback being second to Dr. Ardito, who's probably headed to a New York bread steaks company pretty soon. There's no shame in that. So I'm expecting seven lilies to, to have a, a major say in the outcome here, you know, looking for him in the late stages. I thought that there really were very few alternatives. I agree with you on brew pub. I think he's a really interesting, potentially underneath tight, maybe a little bit for the top slot, but he's going to get some pace to run at. And that's pretty much been all he needs in order to at least make a, a slight impact. Nine, one is A's eight is a B. Yeah, that sounds, sounds exactly right to me. I, I wouldn't include anybody else. Let's talk about race number eight, the grade one man of war mile and three ace on the inner turf. And I want to hear your opinion on this one. It's a, this is, this is a race where I, I, kept going back and forth and, and, and changing my pick. I'm, I'm okay where I've landed, but uh, let's have you go first on this one. Yeah, well, I will admit, and, and I try not to let this factor in so much, but I'm a Yabir fan. So, I mean, I really want him to run well. I, I was uh, I was very taken by his effort in the Jockey Club Derby last year and and thought that his Dubai World Cup was just since our Dubai Shima Classic was sensational. And, and even a horse with that big, long stride and that powerful closing kick, he rolled home in the Breeders' Cup turf as well. So it's, it's great to see him running in some races domestically. With that said, you know, if he came in off the Shima Classic, then he'd probably be two to five in here or three to five. And as it is, he's coming in off kind of a dull second place finish when he really didn't quicken and um, he just sort of, of – wrote it out, you know, and, and finished second, found a, a rival that was a little bit better on the day. He was one to four and came up short. So, you know, now he comes back in two weeks and it seems like coming back in two weeks is the biggest conversation going on in racing right now. <laughs> but maybe your beer will buck the trend um, and, and handle it without issue. I trust Charlie Appleby a lot. And, and it, you know, this horse was mentioned for the man of war very early. So, could Charlie have just been putting a race into this horse to get him a little bit of fitness in lieu of doing a great amount of training in the morning to get him to go overseas? I think that's plausible. And so I think when push comes to shove, he is a better horse than Gufo. Um, but it really boils down to those two. And I will say in, in Gufo's defense, his Pan American was better than any race he ran last year. And, and it's not even close, in my opinion. And I know he won the Sword Dancer and he got a better buyer speed figure in there. There was an enormous pace in that race that definitely quickened the final time. And he was a more professional horse. He was a more complete racehorse last time out. He didn't do any of his dumb antics late when he reached the front and pulled himself up or things like that. He just... Inhaled leader is a great comment. I mean, he just blew by Abon altogether. And Abon is, you know, probably not a grade one horse, but he's no slouch. Yeah, I actually end up picking a bond and it's just a pace thing. It's okay. just a pace thing because I feel like when you go back and you look at that Pan American, the kind of numbers a bond um, laid down there just in terms, no, he wasn't leading, but just in terms of his pace, pace numbers, I think would put him, put him in a beautiful spot. Um, probably just right behind so high. Now, so high is going to get no respect. 
in the market. He's going to get no respect from the riders. And I think that also could, could almost give a bond like a sneaky chance to just get an absolutely perfect trip where in a race without a lot of pace, I think he could just get the jump. Now he's, he's not of this quality. He is definitely a slower horse than Yabir and Gufo, but I could also see this market going absolutely nuts for Yabir and Gufo in a way that this horse, you know, honestly at the nine to two of the, of the morning line, eh, I, I certainly wouldn't want any lower than that, but I think you might get higher. I'm taking a little bit of a shot on the pace angle. Um, we'll see what happens. Yabir, obviously the class horse, the best horse in the race. He has been unlucky, but you made the key point to me. It's just a little hard for me to back a horse that was just beaten at one to four coming into a spot where he could be at a disadvantage tactically still one to definitely keep on side, you know, he's an a he's, I will cover a bond, your beer um, exact for sure. You mentioned Appleby and he did have a great quote in the racing form that the PPs a hundred percent bear out to me, which is just that your beer wants, he wants left-handed, you know, tight turns, firmish ground and you look at what he's done under those circumstances and and the races are extraordinary and then and then maybe that makes you be able to forgive the new market run um the last day so it, it's an interesting it's an interesting point that i think i think the form bears out i think we'll be seeing a lot more of your beer here but i did also want to include um you know a, a more of a my opinion in the race is going to be to try to make magic happen with, with a bond, but Gufo's credentials are absolutely undeniable has obviously beat a bond rather easily. I just think with the different pace scenario expected today, I'm going to try to, to, to use him a bit more defensively. We'll, we'll see how it works out. You, you, you think I'm nuts on a bond or can if you squint, can you see it? Uh, I don't think you're nuts, but not for liking a bond, but um, <laughs> no, I kid. Um, you know, my, generally my take on these horses is that their time to make hay is while the sun shines in Florida. These Todd Pletcher horses generally don't really reproduce their form outside of Florida. Totally fair. And, um, and so that would be my biggest worry. But um, see, and I wonder, and, and again, your, your opinion on your European form and how it translates I, I think your beer actually is more dangerous in a slow paced race because they're probably going to be packed in tighter and he's going to kick harder than everybody get invited so, into the race and kick. I, that's, that's my fear is that I just don't, I don't think you beat these super long winded fast finishing European types by turning it into a sprint. And, you know, and so the race within the race will be how Joel reacts to what's going on in front of him. Plus, um, what William Buick is doing with with your beer, and so yeah, I, it, it'll turn out pretty interesting in, in terms of tactics. I would imagine that both of them go off a dollar ten or less. Um, you know, I, I could, I could. There's a world in which I could see them kind of both going off under even money or less, because so high is going to go off sixty or seventy to one, right? And Highland Chief's going to be probably at at minimum twenty five. So, yeah, that kind of puts them both in the mix to be six to five or less. It really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but it is, it's going to be treated as a two-horse race. You're treating it as a three-horse race and likely getting the value if you like a bond. Yeah, we'll give it a try. I was thinking it was going to be a four to five, six to five situation. I think that's probably right, but, but we'll, we'll see. Is Easter interesting at all? I mean, has one angle I absolutely love, which is the closer coming into the – uh, coming in, closing into blue fractions on time form us now second off the layoff off the previous ginormous layoff i mean just form wise it's tough pace setup wise it's tough but this is a horse i mean if if we're right and those other three take that kind of money i mean at like 20 to one would it with my not wanting to 
pin my colors to Yabir's mask, does it make sense to maybe try to run one ticket through this horse? I think, you know, maybe one ticket. I think if you have a little skepticism with regards to your beer, then you play this horse underneath who you like in Exactus. You yeah. know, if you, you want to try and beat a beer altogether and you use this horse under Gufo and a little bit under a bond, maybe one pick four, pick five ticket, pick six ticket, whatever you're playing. Um, the interesting thing to me is that if Motion thought this horse wanted to stay short, then he would have probably gone to the race at Pimlico next week, mm-hmm. which Graham runs in frequently. I mean, his barn is miles away. Yep. Um, so he clearly wants to send him long. And uh, even though last year he his campaign was primarily at a mile. So I wonder if I wonder if the time to bet this horse might actually be next time when he shortens up, maybe in a fast-paced <laughs> race. We'll see. But um, I think there's a little bit of ability there. And this is a horse who, I mean, all things considered, was only 23 to one in the French Derby last year in a, in a 12 horse field. Yeah. I mean, there might be some, there might be more under the hood than it looks like on form. Horse could also catch money with Pratt and Motion in a, in a grade one turf race. We'll see how they bet. It's a really interesting contest, actually, despite being a short field. Let's talk about this grade three Peter Pan for the three year olds going a mile and an eighth. I went with Set Sail in this spot. I thought it was interesting trainer angle type play pretty aggressively placed in a graded stake off a maiden win for a trainer who I just think of as being like super duper conservative in Mandela has the speed to lead throughout appears to be working well. And it feels like on his blood, the added ground should be his friend. I also really like electability should get a great run in behind the top pick. Nice profile over long overall brought along pretty slowly for Chad Brown. Just looks like one who should be set for a peak effort in the third run off the layoff. I was going to have lots of ones and twos on my tickets. How do you see it, Nick? Yeah, I, I picked it for for two. Um, I picked We the People, who I, I think probably took the worst of it in the Arkansas Derby in terms of being wide and not really getting an opportunity to, to tuck in at any point. That pace was fast early in the Arkansas Derby. I also think there might be a kind of a wholesale rejection of the Arkansas Derby by the wagering public. And I wonder if that might be I wonder if that might be an angle now, because yeah, uh, might have gone to the hate might have gone too far. Well, yeah. and did we really expect much? I expected more from Cyberknife. He ran very poorly, but uh, Barbara Road ran Barbara, Barbara Road ran well, right? I mean, yeah, he got I he I think he got like a ninety-two speed buyer speed figure. So I mean, he ran his race, and Secret Oath came back and won the Oaks. So, but yes. Secret Oath, of course, was the horse you wanted, and I shouldn't say that we the people took the worst of it. We the people took the worst of it in the first three furlongs. Secret Oath took the worst of it in the whole nine furlongs, but. Um, this is a huge step down in class. He really figures to get an excellent stocking trip outside of set sale and potentially electability. I do think it's interesting, though, that Timeform US users are probably just going to gobble up electability, who is way faster than these horses on Timeform US. And it's not because he got involved in, in super hot paces in either of his last two, but he has just been steadily productive in both of those races, running hard throughout and... Uh, He's intriguing. It's interesting. Going to be interesting to me to see where he ends up landing um, in this race early and late because he did show a great amount of speed last time out. And I will say that Lunisima looked like he was going to go blowing by and electability showed some real grit to end up uh, coming back and winning that race. They ended up about six lengths in front of everybody else. Lunisima is a horse who speed figure wise took a big step forward in that race, came back and finished second in a, in a race on, uh, on Sunday at Belmont. Drop 10 time form US points. So that's where the the concern comes in about whether these fast races are actually going to end up playing out that way. Aqueduct, I will say, for you know, to to put a little backing onto all the figure makers, might be the toughest place to make figures in the country. Why is that, Nick? The weather, 
Um, the winter time can be volatile in terms of days where you have the track very fast. There's also a lot of wind. And so you will see rapid track speed changes almost race to race, which is of no fault of the, of the track super. It's just kind of how things go at aqueduct in general. So, um, just something to keep in mind when you're looking at, at aqueduct speed figures, they, uh, they are, they're tough. You make such a good point about electability and, and that, and that figure. So buyer had the last one at 86, the time form number is what more of an equivalent of like a low nineties one. Uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, one 11. Yeah. So, you know, deduct 20 typically is a, is a rough, uh, calculation for that. So, yeah, I mean, so, so, you know, that's a big six points. Now three runners have come back. One just didn't show form at all. The other two, uh, Looney Sima backed up the number exactly and unbridled bomber improved it by 11 points. So jury very much out, but buyer may have that slow and time form number may be right. We'll get a good line on the answer to that question based on what happens in the Peter Pan. Let's talk about race number 10, another stake. We've got the Bogey, grade three, four and up fillies and mares going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Nick, what'd you come up with in here? Well, it's been a week since Chad Brown and Peter Brandt won a graded stake for females on the turf, so <laughs> they're due. Um, I, you know, it was unbelievable to me that that Peter Brandt spent $5.5 million on two horses that ultimately could end up running in the same races. But look, I mean, he's trying to develop a breeding program over here, and so I don't fault him. He's... Uh, He's That's obviously it. got a plan in place and, and he's executing it. So uh, Rougier looks like, I mean, her best races are way too good for these horses. She is a, a group one winner, um, went into the Breeders' Cup and, and went off 14 to one based on her win in the Prix de l'Opera. And granted, she was a little bit of an upsetter that day, but this is a really good horse. And and while she is um, a little unproven on firmer ground, I don't think that's a big worry. She had kind of a nightmare trip in, in the Philly and Mare turf last year. So, uh, I mean, they're going to have to work awfully hard to beat her if she's got anything close to what we saw last year. Lamista might end up helping her out a little bit pace-wise. I'm not going to be surprised if if Irad is told to put her a little bit forward, that's probably, that probably gives her her best chance to win anyway, given that her best effort in America last year was in the Bogey when she was a little bit more forward. Stolen Holiday looks like the main speed on paper. Um, Plum Ali has developed a little bit more speed lately, but I mean, it's going to have to take a big step backwards for Rougier to lose to these horses. It makes sense. Now, this is a, one of these, I'm going to give you more conflicting data points, you know, multi, hold multiple thoughts in your head at the same time. I, I, so much of me wants to be cynical about the form of Rougier, given that that form was earned by a trainer who's since been arrested for doping suspicions. But right. you could have said the exact same thing about Speak of the Devil, who absolutely ran a hole in the wind last weekend. Same guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah same, same, same operation. So it's you could argue it either way Rougier's the most likely winner absolutely an a i just wanted to try to come up with something clever because of that little thought sticking in my head and i ended up with stolen holiday coming off of a very difficult trip if you if you key off the run two back you can see a world in which she wires this field at a nice price so i was going to call it three one and and hope to get the job done sounded like you were a pretty confident one two in this spot i also don't hate the idea of using the four and the two as backups. If, if there are tickets in which that uh, if, if you can make that cost work, depending on what the rest of your tickets are. I, I also don't mind having some tickets where I'm just one and three in here, but just one, two for you at the end of the day, you decided against stolen holiday. 
I would loan a the one and use the two and three. I think Stolen okay. Holiday is more dangerous than uh, than she's uh, she's going to be a very fair price for how dangerous she is, is what I should say. I also think that Plum Ali is getting better. I don't quite know if she's good enough to win a race like this, but I do think in general she's very much on the improve. All right, we're running out of time, but we have one more race to do. It's the 11th. Three and up Philly and Mayor, New York Bread Allowance types going seven on the turf. Nick, how are we going to get paid? Well, I have to go back to my old friend, Master of the Tunes, who uh, I've been on numerous times in the past, and I think she likely needed her last start. I don't think it was a race that was ever going to unfold exactly the way she needed. Gets Jose Ortiz back on. This is a horse who... Uh, who I, I thought I backed a couple times last year at big prices, including that second place finish at 60 to one. And I, I you know, bet my brains out on December 3rd, trying to get her home at 18 to one. She got into a little traffic trouble that ended up hurting her chances, but I'm intrigued by her back uh, now second off the layoff. And you know, the, the horse that I wish his barn was going a little bit better, but I, I find it very interesting that Jorge Abreu is trying so well in Michigan on the turf and getting Lasix for the first time. She lacks a great amount of pedigree, but this is a horse that really showed some serious ability last year. So maybe more of a, of a backup or a watch and see type. I'm going to use Master of the Tunes and Autumn Glory primarily. Autumn Glory's maiden win was very impressive, did so over a short price Chad Brown horse. They're going to get the setup in here. It looks like they're really going to move. I generally feel like seven eighths plays well for off the pace types on the widener. So I'm going to focus on the, uh, the three and 11 and I'll have some backups. I don't really trust anybody all that much of the off the pace types, but the six finest work feels like one that you kind of have to use. Um, and I, I, to a lesser extent, the four Rigby who was victorious sprinting on the turf when she broke her maiden at second asking. Three eleven is A's eight, six, four is B's. That sounds yes. okay. I like finest yeah. work. I thought, you know, has a good chance to get it done from off the pace here in the finale, going out for a new trainer and Weaver, another who, who has that angle. If you look back at what she was doing last year and you, uh, and you, you project in figure improvement for age makes sense. I am going to use, and I, I went back and forth on this one. I think in the end, I am going to use palace gossip as the potential best speed. Now, I do suspect that there's a world in which that that extra furlong could tell on her, but I just think she looks too good overall to leave out. I'll bring you back in for your opinion on her. And then I was with you on master of the tunes, just a consistent sword figure wise should improve second off the layoff. As you pointed out shapes like she wants longer and that expected fast early tempo could really bring that stamina into play. You got anything on palace gossip or you think we're looking at a pop and stop deal here? I mean, the concern is the pace. You know, I don't I don't necessarily love that race. I know it's the same one that Master of the Tunes is coming out of. But um, I, I do think Palace Gossip ran well enough to be given pretty serious consideration. You have to like that she's improved in her last two starts. I don't know if getting Lasix maybe contributed a little bit. Um, she did run well at second asking anyway. So the question for her is going to be the seven eighths, the pace and taking her game away from Aqueduct where, you know, generally the six furlong turf races at Aqueduct play better for speed. Yeah, so sure. seven eights at Belmont is tough on speed horses. It You're is right. You gotta be you gotta be superior to win, especially in a forced pace. It's sort of a double whammy, but with the with the actual added ground and the course configuration. But I still the numbers are telling me to leave in, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it that way. But everything you're saying makes sense. All right. We've got uh, more segments to come on the show. You're gonna be sticking around. Uh, so I'll, I'll see you in a minute. I'm ready. Next up on the show, happy to bring together our Texas team. You saw Nick Tamaro in the other segment, so I'm not going to introduce him again. But I am happy to welcome to the In the Money Airwaves, Jessica Paquette. Jessica, what's going on? Everything's good, PTF. How are you? 
life is good. Life's good here in the bunker. Um, a little chaotic, but that's the, the state of things during the Triple Crown. We're not here to talk about that. We may sneak in a little Rich Strike chatter at the end, but we're really here to talk about Lone Star Park, who we're so happy to have back in the fold. And these are horses you guys are going to be very familiar with from your time uh, across the state. We're going to kick off talking about race number six on Saturday night. The post time is 4.55 Eastern, and we kick off with uh, three and up dime claimers going a mile on the dirt. Jessica, let's start with you. How do you want to get this gimmick kicked off? I think this is actually one of the tougher legs. I like number five, flip the coin for Jaime Castellano. It's kind of deceptively good form, has a little bit of speed. I actually wonder what happens with number seven, Gordon Anthony. I wonder if um, Ernesto Valdez, him and has really sends this horse to the front end for Broberg. Big money machine, the other Broberg horse, I think looms pretty tough at a short price. So I'm going uh, kind of five as nay, then with seven and two as, as B picks here. Five with the seven and the two on the backup line. Does that match your vision of this race, Nick? How do you see it? Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, they're, they're not both end zone athletics, but usually with Carl, uh, whoever wears the red cap is the more fancied of the two. I learned through a couple of months at Lone Star. I will admit that uh, I actually I tried to convince a trainer to claim comedian last time out because um, the rider that he had in the four prior starts, God love him. He has a very hard time getting away from a four or five wide trip. And, uh, and this horse was really in tough spots over and over. And so Danny Pish ended up claiming him for 10. This is a horse who goes all the way back to having been brought up with Steve Asmussen at Oakland years ago. So I think Comedian's going to be tough. And I know he's a morning line favorite. Obviously, he comes in off an effort that would make him pretty tough to handle. That was also a day where being inside was a decided advantage. And he was outside the whole way. Not surprising, given the jockey. He gets Carlos Montalvo here and should get a good trip from just off the pace. I agree with Jessica that flip the coin Jan is very dangerous from a pace perspective. How Gordon Anthony is ridden early will likely dictate what happens in the stretch because a big money machine needs things to develop a little bit in front of him. So I'd probably lean on comedian and back up with the logicals like the uh, two, five and seven. All right. Sounds good. As we move on to leg B of this pick five, it's race number seven, three and up claimers, the $15,000 level this time going five furlongs on the turf and Jessica will throw the ball back in your court for your thoughts on this one. My strongest opinion on the card is number five, Samurai Cause. Unproven on the turf, but ton of grass influence in the pedigree. Jared Caldwell hits at around 22% off the claim. He and Lane Luzzi, they have a terrific season at Sam Houston, and that success has continued. If this one takes to the turf, I think he fits here very well class-wise. Is this a stone-cold single for you or any? Uh, I'll go bold. Yeah. All right, that's, that's the way to do it. You know, go big or, or go home. We've seen that from you before. We'll see how it uh, It doesn't always out. work, but at least I try. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, that's that's the thing. You got to have a. It's a game of opinions. Nick, what's your opinion in this seventh race at Lone Star? Yeah, you know, I I actually liked Sam's time quite a bit when he made his turf debut at Sam Houston a couple of starts back, and he ran poorly. That was probably a tougher than par three life twenty five, and he came back to Wirefield last time out at five to one, and of course it was a night where. I wasn't paying, it was a day card actually where I wasn't paying attention to Lone Star. And so I was very heartened to see that happen. Um, I think he'll be tough again, actually. I think he's the main speed on paper and, and the five eights on the turf obviously is good for pace horses, wherever it's run. It seems a little bit better at Lone Star than it was at Sam Houston. We kind of have a, a longer, lusher type of turf course and theirs is, is very short, very fast. And, and I think speed gets out and just sort of, 
of is able to dictate to everybody else. Agent McGee looks obvious as an alternative to me. So does Saturday's gold. I think each of them are horses that you'd want to use as a backup, but I think you could probably lean somewhat heavily on Sam's time. Again, Carl Broberg, uh, just 13% right now at Lone Star, but that's a number that will increase as the meet goes on. So Sam's time to me is just one of those all or nothing types. Um, I, I've, yeah. you know, every time I've taken a stand against him, I think at Sam Houston were the times he won. And then the days I, I got suckered into him would be when he doesn't show up. He's he's kind of a little bit of an he's just so inconsistent to me. Eight yeah, I agree. Nine for Nick. And yeah, what, what, you feel free to piggyback on that. Yeah, no, I agree. He's he's a horse who really won impressively early in the meet. And I kind of thought that he'd clear the allowance conditions on dirt without issue. And um, and even though he won a two life, I mean, that's not quite obviously a one other than and then was disappointing at Delta. And so off to turf, which, you know, is never never really the plan, but at least it seems to be playing out well so far. Are you cynical about the samurai causes chances to make the switch to the turf or just for you just found? No, I think, I think there's definitely pedigree there and I've got tremendous respect for, uh, for J.R. Caldwell and Lane Luzzy. Great combination uh, over the last six months or so. But um, I wonder if he'll just have a little bit too much to do. That was my, my only concern. Race number eight. We've got three and up Texas breads an allowance race going a mile on the dirt Field of nine going postward. We've got a four to five favorite on the morning line in number two, Popeye's Heart. Jessica, are you with or against? With, unfortunately. I hate to eat some chalk here, but for me, this is a single move on, get through this race. Checks all the boxes. Lightly raced. Looked like a, looks like a standout on paper to me. Uh, I really like this worth stretching out second off the layoff. And Austin Gustafson, really sharp young trainer. Feels like a good setup should be on offer as well, adding to the appeal. Nick, can we make it a chorus for Popeye's Heart? Yeah, the only other horse I'm going to use a little bit would be the six with the band. Popeye's heart is clearly the one to beat. You know, the funny thing is this horse was 41 to one at this level last time out. And he's going to be what, you know, four to five, even money, something in that range this time around. So it's always a little tricky to take. You didn't even miss the wedding. He only finished third last time out. But now you're going to have to take that incredibly depressed price with the band is a horse that likely has been wanting to go long um, and, and shortened up three starts back to finish second behind Daryl's little Diablo. I thought the cutback was a good idea that night. I think this is a horse who can settle and make one run. It does feel like they're going to move in here and that's going to work to the advantage of Popeye's heart, but it might also help with the band push comes to shove. He's probably more of a placing chance, but this is a horse who really has run well enough consistently and just might be getting into the right place at the right time. More of a Popeye's heart as an A with the band as a B, or are you going to use them equally? That would be my my main approach, but I might upgrade with the band to be more of a, of like a B plus with some of the backup horses along the way because my A line is pretty thin so far. Yeah, that's an excellent point and a very good point about ticket construction and how you can be a little bit elastic depending on your holistic approach to the sequence. Probably a topic for uh, to go into much more depth on on another podcast because we got more ground to cover here, starting with this ninth race at Lone Star and these two-year-old maiden Texas-bred fillies going four and a half. Really curious to get your guys' thoughts on this one. All first-time starters. Jessica, I know you love your pedigree, so what stood out to you in here? This is an interesting group. So number six, Fast Track, looks really well-meant here. The dam was a stakes-winning Texas juvenile. Makes a ton of sense. Number eight, Gold Memories. Dam was another useful Texas-bred stakes-placed. For a bit of a price, though, I'm intrigued by number two, Kaylee's Shadow, um, another horse coming out of the Caldwell Barn. One thing I really enjoyed getting to see when I was down at Sam Houston in person this year, very few people's horses looked as good as J.R. Caldwell's, and no one looked better. 
um, at every level, whether they came out kind of at the bottom or one of the stakes horses, they came out looking the part. And his young horses also came out really well prepared, even a couple of them that were a little bit goofy and a little slow to develop mentally. Uh, the way they were handled, they got a positive experience kind of from the moment they walked to the paddock till they got into the gate and it paid off. Do you want to grade those into A's and B's or how would you, how would you, how would you put that in, in those terms? You know, I'm, I'm going to use all three as, as A's here. This is, uh, I think you can go a lot of ways with two-year-olds. Of course, you know, you want to see them on in person and on the track as much as you can, but constructing a horizontal ticket, you take what you get. Yeah, that's fair enough. So it was six, two. And what was your third number in there? Yeah. Six, two, eight. Nick, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, annually, Steve Asmussen sort of unleashes a, an assault in the two-year-old division. So I would imagine fast track will be pretty tough to handle. Fast Anna Progeny seemed to be ready on debut. This is a rarity in that uh, Doug Scharbauer, who, uh, of course, father owned Ali Sheba. This is a family that goes way back in Texas racing. Um, I don't ever recall him having a horse with Steve Asmussen. So this is a new new client for a barn that obviously the winningest barn of all time. Um, you know, the, the interesting horse in here, and I, I completely agree with Jessica about uh, both Caldwell's in a way, let freedom bling might actually be, we'll see how quick he is. He's only worked two furlongs three times, but uh, glitz and glamor for Carl Broberg was taken for 72,000 at the uh, TTA sale last year the richest auction purchase of anybody in here. Generally, Texas breads are homebreds um, and, and some lower level auction buys. And this one seems to be working pretty well. So we'll see if this horse, we won't get a window into it in the pick five, a little difficult race placement from the racing office. But I would throw Glitz and Glamour into the mix along with uh, with Jessica's two, six and eight. And, and I would probably find a way to include Let Freedom Bling as a backup. Okay, so so very very spready here. Uh, yeah, very spready. Yeah, like very spready for fast track to win by the length of the stretch. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you press a little bit with that in mind and make Probably, it more? Yeah, I, I would I would use the two three five six as A's and then and then press the uh, I'm sorry the two three six eight as A's and then press the six a little bit more. Two three six eight and then you who was the one you wanted to throw in as a B in this spot? Um, I would use the five as a B. Okay, and the five as a B. That brings us along to the pay leg. We've got three and up Texas bread made in special weights going seven and a half on the turf. Jessica will ask you the key question. How are we going to get paid? Number seven, cold night air, I think gets loose on the lead. And if she does, sometimes these, you know, maiden fillies on the turf, loose on the lead might be, might be all you need to get the job done. One horse I just got stuck on at Sam Houston this year was Lumberjack Leslie. I'm still stuck on this horse. I'm not going to leave her off of my tickets because that will inevitably mean she wins. I don't know if she's seemingly good enough at this point to get that maiden win, but I am going to use her. I think she could at least get a piece of it. Just Claire, I think, wants to go a little bit longer, but she does seem to be steadily heading in the right direction. So number seven, Cold Night Eric, I'm an A pick, and I'm going to back that up with the three and the ten. Love it. Nick, how about you? What's going to get us home here? Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen how optimistic Cowgirl takes to the turf. She was entered for turf last time out at Sam Houston, and we had to move the races to the dirt. So she's a horse that on debut was a very solid second coming from just off the pace, then improved going longer. The morning line favorite, which doesn't exactly uh, add, add any appeal, um, having to take a short-ish price, maybe a little bit easier to do so than to take expect the boss who's been really disappointing throughout her career this is a horse who was expected to clear the maiden ranks quite a time ago and has failed as a favorite three times so i would end up using both probably as backups i, I agree with jessica and i thought just claire's 
third place finish behind honor given it because I'm divine two starts back was actually a better race than it looks on paper. There was no pace on that night at all. And, um, and she still put together a pretty decent run to finish third. So I would upgrade that performance as well. And lumberjack Leslie's lone turf race recently was that just Claire race. It really wasn't bad. And I mean, she's a horse who's been, she's who's seemingly run a million times, but um, I, I think they're every single one of them. I think but. <laughs> a pet horse, right? No, uh, no, no harm there. We've all done it. So yeah, those seem like the right ones that are going to be decent prices. I would take cold night air of the shorter prices as an A and probably back up with expect the Boston optimistic cowgirl. All right. Recap those numbers for me, just for my little notes here. I'm putting it together for the plus people. Uh, three, three, seven, ten is A's six, nine is backups. All right. There you go. And you can get away with being spready in a couple of these legs when we're as thin as we are. Definitely some clever tickets to be put together for Saturday night at Lone Star. Definitely, uh, you know, one of the interesting signals this time of year. And we're very happy to be working with them. We'll be hearing a lot of Lone Star chatter and we'll probably be reconvening this this team several times. Now, we went through that quickly enough that it does give us a minute to talk a little bit more about uh Rich Strike, the surprising decision to not run in the Preakness. But before we get to that, Jessica, you are the person um, who I have on my shows most frequently, who I feel like is definitely best qualified to talk about this incident. After reading a bit more about it, I'm, I'm tempted to maybe even call it Tempest in a Teapot about the actions after the Kentucky Derby where somebody joked that, you know, what a badass this Rich Strike is. He comes from nowhere to win the race and then tries to eat all the other horses um what was going on there there was some criticism from what i've seen seem misguided about the outriders actions i just want to get from somebody who actually understands uh horsemanship your perspective on what we saw there well testosterone and adrenaline are a hell of a combination especially on a horse that is a notoriously bad actor there are photos of him throughout the week kind of pulling similar shenanigans and being difficult to handle Temperament aside, I think Greg Blassie did the best he could do under a really difficult circumstance. I would have loved to see the cameras pan away simply because sometimes when you're trying to keep everyone safe and doing the best you can, it doesn't always look that great. These are thousand plus pound animals. And what Rich Strike was doing was not only trying to savage Greg, I mean, biting his leg, biting his arms, biting the pony. He was also grabbing the reins of the pony. And I know one of the things that the armchair quarterbacks on the internet were saying, well, why didn't Greg just let him go? Um, there's no guarantee that that horse would have stopped going after him at that point. Kind of horses can singularly focus, especially an intact male horse full of testosterone and adrenaline. And if he lets this horse go, there's, he then has no leverage. If the horse comes up on his pony, you know, rears up and comes on top of them or goes after someone else. He was trying doing his best to keep everyone involved, you know, his pony, rich strike and the jockey safe. Incredibly well put. What a great answer. And you had made an interesting point to me about his bloodline being a potential factor in his in his uh, in his temperament if you would, wouldn't mind expounding on that for a minute for the for the listeners and viewers so when it goes well it's called line breeding when a horse has similar parents on all of his sides he's a son of keen ice who is a son of curlin who is by smart strike and then his dam is by smart strike so that is a lot of smart strike kind of every which way and smart strike is a tremendous stallion was a tremendous stallion uh they do a little bit of everything they're fabulous sport horses they're also not always the most temperamentally pleasant to deal with so you get kind of this influx of all of the good on both sides but you also get you have to take a little bit of the bad too and i think he got a little bit of the worst of the temperament 
with an answer like that, you've got a future in politics, should you ever want. You've never, <laughs> you've never said this. You've never said he's he's this. You know, he's bred to be crazy. You couldn't say it in a nicer way. Well, horses are like horses. That's the thing. It's it's a dangerous thing to assign these human characteristics to horses. Like they don't wake up one day and say, "I'm going to be mean" or "I'm going to be bad." They're just horses acting like horses, and we have to react to how they're they're acting. They don't have the uh, kind of the fully fully formed frontal lobe to be like I'm I'm a mean horse. That's that's a human thing. Humans are mean. <laughs> it's a great it's a great point. And yeah, it makes me realize we need to ask you some more uh, horsemanship questions <laughs> along the line because I think it's a chance for people even died in the wool people who uh, who breathe, sleep, and eat horse racing to to learn something. So I appreciate that. Nick, let's bring you back in to talk about the the surprising nature of the decision to pass the preakness. What do we think We've heard the stated reason that the connections feel like it's just in the best interest of the horse and that they had this idea to come back with a certain amount of time between races. And obviously it's very admirable. And and if that's, you know, if if the horse truly needs that, I mean, of course, you know, you put the horse first, but I don't know, even in, in my heart, cynical horse player that I am. I, I have trouble accepting that the explanation is as simple as that. Um, you can just tell me if you think I'm being a jerk about it. No, I think you're not quite being harsh enough, but <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but yeah, no, I think it's, I think it has to do with exactly what you just said. I mean, I, I you know, one of my, one of my big racing pet peeves and, and I could probably just stay off social media and I wouldn't be bothered by this, but this whole such and such is doing right by the horse, blah, blah, blah. So everybody running in the Preakness is just running their, throwing their horse to the wolves, right? right? If you run your horse back in, in less than any amount of time, you're, you know, you're throwing your horse to the wolves. It's ridiculous, right? Every, every single trainer, every single top level trainer is trying to do what's right for their horse. Maybe not every single one, close enough, right? All of them at this level are doing what's right. Some of them are influenced by owners. Some of them are influenced by other things. It's, it's, it's not as if they are virtuous and everybody else is not. They're taking an approach that was likely hatched when they didn't know they were going to run in the Derby, number one, or didn't think they were going to win. And it's okay for them to not think they were going to win. None of us thought they were going to win either. <laughs> so it really is no shame. So... The, the mistake, of course, and, and I, I, I said this to both of you when we were talking before, is that horses that are trained to be at peak fitness for a race like the Derby are generally best suited to running back quickly. And if you run back quickly, you're still kind of riding that wave. It's why we've had a lot of, of triple crowns on the line over the years. And it's not so much running the two races in three weeks or three Saturdays, it's running the three races in five weeks that becomes the problem. Because now you're talking about another week of activity and do we have send them out for a workout or do we just gallop, you know, do we two minute lick every day, things like that. And training methods really come in. This is a horse that obviously uh, somehow was ready to run a huge race in the Kentucky Derby, did so courtesy of a massive pace setup and one of the most master rides you're ever going to see in that race and and so he is supposed to be pressed on as much as possible in my opinion that's the 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 side of it where i'll play you know fake horseman on top of that the game is is the game needs horses to run in big races especially horses that are popular that have just won big races that have done things like this 
And and so I will admit, I mean, it seemed like the group that that in most in unison was applauding the decision was bloodstock agents and owners. And so I don't blame them. I have great respect for both of them. They're members of the industry. But it's like take the horse players approach for a second. When you have a horse like this, you want to see them run. You want the opportunity to bet on or against them and the game benefits from it. So good luck to him and the connections in the Belmont. But I really I mean, I'm, I call me disappointed about him not being in the Preakness for sure. It's it's a strong opinion and it, and it's got some validity. I mean, just to your point about the the you know you look at the record of some of these long shots running back in two weeks. Look at mine that bird. Yeah, mine that bird ran a winning race. Um, one of one of the one of the, only a couple of times he ever ran ran a winning race. Again, I think two of charismatic who went there as something like an eight to one shot, like Rich Strike would have been. Jess, I want to bring you back in though. You know, you're somebody I trust to put horses' interest. You know. Uh, first more than most of us just because you spend so much time around these wonderful animals every day really um i just want to get your thought on that i mean i i I take nick's point i mean it's certainly not automatic that it's what's best for the horse and 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 i think there's plenty of horses that would respond to coming back in in two weeks without without an issue i was assuming they were talking more that there was some specific aspect of rich strike that maybe required the extra time but as a real horse person how do you view this this question well, that's the question I have because I, Nick's points are all really valid. And I think it is easier to keep fitness. Um, the two week turnaround actually is a little bit easier on the majority of horses, providing nothing goes awry. Like we plan and horses laugh is <laughs> the way everything goes with them. But I'd be, I wish there was a little bit more transparency um, about why this is in the best interest of the horse. And they don't owe us that explanation. I understand they don't have to tell us, but is this a horse that goes off his feet a couple of days after a race and kind of drops some weight. Does he get ulcery? Um, we've seen videos of him galloping and he looks as fine as he ever did. He is not a horse. It clearly is not a horse that impresses much anybody out in the mornings or on the track. So I would just be curious. Is he a horse that's hard on himself? Did he not, you know, did he grab himself? Is there a reason mm-hmm. that he needs a little bit of extra time? Again, they don't owe us that. I'm idly curious. Uh, for me, just for a little bit of context, when I was horse showing my off the track thoroughbred, he was not a horse that could kind of do back to back to back horse shows each weekend um, because he would always drop weight at the horse shows. He didn't eat as well out of his normal routine. And if we kind of push the envelope a little bit, you'd start to see it. His condition, he'd lose some condition, he'd lose some enthusiasm. So while many horses can just kind of keep going each weekend, not all of them can. I get that. So, but I'd just be curious why. It would be great if we were in a game where that information was required to be disclosed to the public, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be nice all right we gotta go we got another guest in the green room and and you know he's australian so he gets grumpy when i leave him in there too long so we're gonna let you guys go and we will you don't want to you don't want to make those australians angry you wouldn't like them when they're angry we'll talk soon guys appreciate your help bye Thanks, the monmouth meet is underway and with the start of the monmouth meet comes the return of fixed odds betting powered by betmakers to american racing This is an exciting new way to bet, changes the nature of value and puts the power to get great value right in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. Revolutionary stuff and really worth checking out. You're going to be hearing so much more from the bet makers and about fixed odds betting on the In The Money Media Network. It's Jersey now, Monmouth at Monmouth only, but I have a feeling this one is going to be expanding hopefully, like PASPA, across the nation before too long. Anyway, check it out. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by Betmakers, featured right here on the In The Money Media Network. 
Next up on the show, we keep Nick Tamara. We're making him be very busy today. And we bring in a guy who's been on the shows a lot lately, and he's going to be on the shows a lot in the future because he's part of a movement that, you know, we're very excited about over here. The Fixed Odds coming into Monmouth right now. Monmouth, just at Monmouth, could be expanding out from there soon. But we've got uh, a great opportunity to talk about this in the context of Monmouth Saturday card. We'll talk about the first five races, which are also make up the uh, win early pick five, earliest pick five in the nation, and a great opportunity for players as well. And then we'll also talk about the feature, go on some tangents along the way. It should be fun. Dallas Baker's the man I'm talking about. Dallas, how are you? Peter, Nick, listeners, viewers, good morning or afternoon, whatever it is where you're listening to, <laughs> watching, I should say. <laughs> Covering all your bases. Well, some will be listening. You know, we got the audio, we got the video. It's a good chance to tell the video people that you can subscribe to the podcast versions of the show on iTunes and tell the listeners you should definitely be subscribing to our uh, our, our In The Money Media YouTube channel because we've got some fun stuff and some extra promotions going on over there as well. Let's talk about this first race at Monmouth. We go postward. We're scheduled to go postward, and hopefully we will this week, with a field yeah. of nine for these $30,000 claimers, fillies and mares, three and up. I've got the prices here in front of me. Um, let me ask you, Dallas, from, from your perspective, who, who did you think the most uh, interesting runners were in here? Well, um, it was a pretty wide open race. We uh, ended up with, um, surprise, surprise, Paco Lopez's favourite on uh, Little Miss Sassy at around about the 5-2 to two mark, $3.60 in the decimal language. Um, just ahead of Lady Zeta at 3-1, to one, $4 decimal and uh, tactical range and expect to be ready. Next pick at the 9-2 to two mark, $5.50. So obviously with uh, that market pretty tight and condensed, uh, there's... Uh, We've uh, we've assessed it as the race having uh, plenty of plenty of chances. Now I know you can't bet in your role with betmakers, but if I were to ask you, you know, if you put your old hat on of being a, a punter as opposed to a bookmaker, is there one that you that, that stands out to you as the potential best value, the one you're the most worry about worried about laying standing at the current prices? Well, I, I think one one of the great things that we saw last week, Peter, is um, how fixed odds doesn't. Um, doesn't encapsulate what would you call it the emotional sort of betting as well to like Paco Lopez always is going to start a shorter price because I mean naturally he rides every second winner but um, for leading jockeys leading trainers uh, popular horses they'll always start under unders on the tote because you get a lot more sentimental money for them but with bookmakers um, there really isn't any sentiment it's just about trying to work out who's the, you know, what, what's the best risk and how to, how to play the book. So point being, um, I think what, what people are going to see is this, uh, as the renaissance begins and uh, the revolution takes hold, is that you're going to be getting a lot better prices about a Paco Lopez horse. Um, so I think um, one, of the, one of the earliest things I learned in the, uh, in the punting world, when you talk about value, uh, and a lot of people think that a horse that's 20 to 1, 31 is a value bet, a value bet, you get most of the value at the top of the market because bookmakers are willing to take those horses on. Now, if a horse is a 20 to 1 chance, it's a 20 to 1 chance. It doesn't mean that it's value. But if you think it's, uh, you know, a, a 2 to 1 chance, you're getting 3 to 1 about it, well, there's your value. So I would I would think in the first race, if I was uh, playing the books, I would be, uh, I'd be backing Paco because I assume he'll start a lot shorter on the tote. Very interesting. So a little little bit of a vote there for, for little Miss Sassy. A couple of terms I just wanted to find there. You use the term unders, bookmaking term, basically for what we would call an underlay, a horse whose price yeah. is too short. Yeah, it's a term, simple. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, 
depending on how people start wanting to assess how they, they do their fixed odds markets, you do your handicapping as you would normally do, come up with the price. And, you know, obviously, if your, if your price is, uh, is a shorter price than, uh, than what the market is betting, you're getting overs and um, conversely unders. So pretty, yeah. So, I mean, that's, yeah. and the key to it is tr- the key to winning now for people who are serious about betting and as, the, as fixed odds rolls out, uh, is that price shopping and trying to secure overs. That's that's the game. That's what you want to be playing. You know, that's what you're looking for to try to read the market and to try to strike when the price is at its best so you're getting the best value and maximising your chance for profits. And you can do that a lot more directly in a fixed odds market. But, of course, it's exactly what we're looking to do all the time in tote bets as well. One of the ways to do that is with clever betting strategy in a bet like the trifecta or superfecta, or in this case, pick five. Uh, Not too many that I know better at writing tickets and trying to extract some of that value from the way that tickets are constructed than Nick Tamaro, who will bring in now to ask him, how would you be looking to kick off this pick five from a uh, from a ticket making perspective? Yeah, I I, I like tactical range. I thought uh, this feels like a race that's going to have a decent amount of pace. And I, I think that's one of the things that you want to integrate into your approach. So I felt like he probably, she probably made a, a decent amount of sense coming from off the pace, shortening up to six furlongs. I thought that Rudy Zeta was uh, certainly worthy of plenty of consideration as well. And little Miss Sassy, who Dallas discussed with Paco, felt like a kind of a, a primary use type of horse coming back off the short layoff. Jose Delgado is a guy who's going to win a lot of races at this meet. And even if he went over to the first card, I think that'll reverse itself pretty quickly and could end up starting right here. Four one eight. Is that what I'm hearing, Nick? Yeah. Let's move this along to race number two. We've got a starter allowance going six furlongs on the dirt field of seven going postward. Nick, we're going to keep this one with you. Yeah, I thought that uh, that the two free dancer was a real threat to go the wire to wire here, and um, and and at three to one on the morning line, this is a horse who I think represents a little bit of value, and maybe we'll see in the fixed odds market if this one can be a little bit of an over, um, since we're using the parlance. But I think this is a horse you might get a decent price on at seven to two or four to one. Comes in off a win in, in wire to wire fashion at Penn National, albeit on a sealed track, but did so through some pretty strong early fractions. So I think if that can be duplicated, uh, this horse is a threat to go wire to wire. Mammoth historically had a reputation as a, a very speed favoring track. And I think that's kind of gone the other direction in recent years. There have been more days in, in a lot of my race watching there where there was an advantage to being towards the outside. So we'll see if maybe this is a horse that just might outrun any kind of track profile given the big pace advantage. I, I kind of wanted to land there in large part because I don't trust Mitres Porciento, who is going to be the, the likely favorite in here. Um, this is a horse who was claimed by Wayne Potts two starts back now in Bonnie Lucas's care as Potts is suspended and, and obviously was way over his head last time out. But um, I, I'm a little concerned there about how much meat is left on the bone with this horse. I thought that he's been a little dull in his last couple of starts. And oftentimes when you're talking about a lower level claimer, this is a horse you could be sliding the wrong direction. So it made me feel good about really taking on uh, free dancer as a, as a, a primary use. I like it. Any dimension is backups or is really free dancer uh, focus for you? Um, I would probably use Mitres Porciento just once as a backup, along with rookie Salsa on the outside for Claudio Gonzalez. I have a feeling Claudio Gonzalez is going to unleash a pretty pretty strong number of horses at this meet um, using some of his in the last couple of months. Dallas, let's bring you back in. The biggest question being, what kind of a price are you going to open up a free dancer at? And does Nick's enthusiasm for the horse give you any uh, pause? 
Well, I'm glad Nick's confident, uh, Peter, because this is this is a race, an old mate, um, an old mate from the Sydney betting scene would refer to as a pick up sticks race. Throw the sticks up in the air, pick up one, and whatever one you pick up is what you go with, and that's really uh, indeed borne out in our market. I think uh, the favourite, well, I know the favourite is uh, uh, number five, which is a three to one favourite, and the rank outsider is uh, or outside is a hard western all summer at about. Um, about the $9, $9 mark, 8 to 1 mark. So there's just, you know, really there's nothing between most of them. I think you can make a case for most of them, albeit not a strong case. So it really is just a race that we'll put up the market and uh, watch what the punters decide and uh, just roll with it. But uh, as far as having an opinion, uh, I'll be cheering Nick on. Good luck with Free Dancer. At, uh, and as Nick mentions about the $4.40 chance, which is um, a, a tick under 7 to 2 in the arm um, in the fractional odds at landscape Pete. that makes sense and uh we'll see so yeah you're, you're going to decline to give anything resembling a selection there it's yeah great. i mean look it's a no bet race for me i think um you know you, you don't have to have a bet i mean we always no. like to have a bet but you don't have to but i mean that would be a race that uh happy to play it from uh you know happy to set the markets and play around with them but um as it stands right now no no real opinion Let's move on to race number three with that in mind. We've got $7,500 claimers, a mile and 70 on the dirt, field of seven. This is another race where there's not a huge spread, at least in the morning line, between the top of the market and the bottom of the market. Is that how you put it up, fixed odds-wise, Dallas? Uh, I'll give you, if you give me one sec for the screen to take over. Yeah, Peter, we've got three equal favourites. Uh, Super Shoes, Tempestuous and Ludo, all equal picks at three to one, four dollars on decimal. Uh, ahead of Gus K at nine to two or five dollars fifty, and then five to one or six dollars for El Fantasma. So again, uh, a very very tight race. But I, I, I like the chances of Tempestuous. Uh, it was the one that I mark. I personally mark shorter than um, than the other price sources. Uh, I thought it probably gets a, gets the good run just coming across and probably just being able to either, yeah, depending on what they do on the inside, it can probably either either just sit on them or if they're not if they don't go, it can take it up itself. So I just thought it gets the right run and uh, look to have the right uh, the right form lines for mine. And um, yeah, tempestuous was the one that I liked in the race, but uh, again, as you said, it it is a it is a a competitive race. Quick word on the decimal odds now, folks that are interested in, in this and are interested in Monmouth in general, definitely check out our Monmouth meat preview. Very pleased with the way that one came out. Uh, and we go deeper into this, but the easiest way to convert a decimal odd to an odd that you're more familiar with is simply to subtract one or subtract the stake from the bet. So when Dallas and he's doing a great job recapping it as we go, but if you're doing it yourself and you see a horse that's 14.0 decimal, that's a 13 to one shot, a, exactly. uh, you know, to 2.0, that's even money. And it just goes on from there. Very, very simple. Take you like half a second or maybe an hour to get used to doing it. And then it becomes very intuitive. Nick, let's bring you back in to get your thoughts on your approach to this race at Mammoth. Yeah, this is a redrawn race from last Saturday when racing was canceled. And a couple of the horses that were added to the field really will both be influential in terms of how it turns out, including Super Shoes, who Dallas mentioned as one of the choices. This horse broke uh, his maiden last time out against $10,000 maiden claimers at Tampa. I think that compares pretty favorably to the beaten claiming variety at the $7,500 level. I felt like Tempestuous made a, a lot of sense as well. I know the horse won an off the turf race last time out, but he had run respectably on the dirt prior and I think pace-wise was really up against it two starts back. So finally putting it all together, this feels like a horse who still has some upside. Made his winning move through on the inside last time out. Not always the easiest thing at Tampa. So I still think there could be a, a bit of improvement 
Freeman in Tempestuous uh, when all is said and done. So I, I would lean pretty heavily on him, but both Super Shoes and Ludo are horses that uh, merit some consideration as well. And we'll see who can take that form from Oldsmar, Florida and bring it up to the Jersey Shore. That's the that's the question here. So to recap those in terms of numbers, you had the one and the four on the A line with the five and five and six as backups. Gus K would be my other other one. Gotcha. Excellent. Okay. Race number four. Jersey breads. We've got three and up Philly and Mare Maidens competing for a nice little purse here. Uh going five and a half on the dirt. Nick, how are we gonna get through this leg? You know, it felt this is another race that was brought back from last Saturday. Random luck actually had the rail last Saturday and has an outside post in here being in the in the eight post, which I think is a big advantage. Uh, she is a Jersey bred who debuted against open company at parks and tried to rally into a pretty slow pace that day, made a move when it was pretty much all over, but the shouting and likely benefits from the experience gained in that performance. So I, I would I would use random luck and Big Lee's legacy kind of chalky here. I don't really see much of an opportunity to take on a price horse that can beat one of them. You have some horses that have shown some ability, including Amazing Grace's Joy. She kind of woke up last time out on a sealed track, but does look like a major pace player in a race that isn't exactly overloaded with speed. So I'd probably focus on the six and eight and find a way to include the, uh, the three and five as alternatives. Makes sense to me. Dallas, how about this race from a fixed odds perspective, that amazing Grace's Joy that Nick gave a nice mention to, um, eight to one on the morning line. What, where, where do you have her? Amazing Grace's Joy is $7.50. So that is 13 to two, which doesn't exist in your language. But uh, a little over six to one. Yeah, six, uh, yeah, a fat six to one, as we were saying. Um, uh, the, obviously, it's they're, they're tricky horses to price. Big Leaves Legacy, you know, you've got obviously the, the the clear the clear top form but it's on the turf so obviously that makes it a challenge but it's still opened up favorite at about the five to two mark three dollars fifty just ahead of random luck three dollars and eighty cents so it's a um random luck you would say is a fatter fatter five to two and big lee's legacy is a rubber stamp five to two there are they're the top of the markets with the amazing amazing grace's joy and uh Pistino's prophecy the next two at that seven dollar fifty mark, thirteen to two, or a fat six to one. <laughs> anything, anything catch your your fancy? You're particularly worried about, you know, in terms of a selection. Well, it's you know, it's. I mean, I, I, as a as a novice on the U.S. racing scene, I'm I'm you know still getting the off the turf and on the turf thing around my head. But um, again, it's hard to go for me. It's hard to go past Paco Lopez and Big Lee's legacy. But obviously, from a bookmaking point of view. It is also a horse that you're, you're happy to take on because it's got obviously maybe you know a, a little bit shorter distance than ideal, and the you know the yet to be super yeah really yet to be rubber stamped on the dirt track. So there are question marks. Obviously, it'll be I'm sure as far as the betting goes, there'll be there'll be backers, lots of backers and lots of layers for Big Lee's Legacy, which makes it a good horse, uh, an interesting horse from a um, watching the market point of view. Because I think there'll be pushes and pulls on it, so that usually usually equates to a very interesting watch of what happens with the market and uh, whether they whether they decide to end up zoning in on that or basically saying throwing it out the door. I mean, this horse could start anywhere from even money to eight to one, you know, like depending on how the market goes and reacts to it. So that always makes for interesting swings and roundabouts, and um, yeah, interesting viewing on what if you want to get into watching how the market will evolve. You make such a good point. And obviously from our point of view, Nick, you know, that's, that's the key 
question. This is a horse. If a you know, I'd be happy to take on as a as a heavy favorite. But I mean, obviously, you you include in your reckoning and are, are are assuming there might still be a little bit of little bit of value in here. But it's a very difficult one. Layoffs make things tough to price up, and I would imagine that those surface switches too. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, go ahead, Dallas. No, no, go, Nick. Go for your life. No, I was going to say the other thing is that, I mean, we really don't have any dirt form for this horse, right? And two prior starts last year at two, don't want to count the debut against him. It's a small time barn, but Paco gets on. And that's really the biggest angle. You're talking about human connections more so than the, the horse's actual performances, because on her form on the dirt, she'd be a, a 10 or 15 to one shot. So, you know, for those of us wise guys over the years that have said, oh, we'd rather book that horse. Now you're actually given the opportunity to book that horse. Yes, so yeah, you, we'll see. This is one that, you know, generally from my perspective, I would be like you kind of alluded to, Pete, I would be more inclined to, to let somebody bet with me than to really push too hard. But uh, in the context of putting together an early pick five, I think is a horse that you would definitely have to use. Let's talk about race number five, the pay leg for the win early pick five, the, the bringing back of the long branch stakes with this field of six. We've got Dean's list in here who projects to be uh, the favorite, might have a pace advantage for uh, brand name connections in Pletcher and Paco Lopez. Nick, how are we going to get paid? Yeah, I, you know, this is a race that also was carded for last Saturday. It had one more speed horse in it last Saturday, too. So Dean's List job actually got a lot easier. There was a, a horse named Fluid Situation for John Terranova, who was coming in off a really impressive wire-to-wire -wire win at, at Tampa and got, I think, a 94-buyer speed figure. He is not going to play this time around, and that really works to Dean's List's advantage. He should get control of this race pretty much shortly after the start. I think the only real worry – Pace-wise is Benevengo, and uh, knowing Paco's style, if he ends up putting Dean's List into more of a stalking spot on the outside, I don't think that presents much of an issue. So he is supposed to win. You know, the worry with him is, does he really want to go two turns? Is, is, he, is he firmly a horse that is going to be at his best at a mile and, and 70 yards or more? Um, the damn side is, is pretty sprinty. Mildly offensive was a, a very, very solid sprinter. The lone try at a mile was the Gotham. So you don't want to hold it against him too much because he did run well to be second. But those are those are the big issues. I mean, I think as far as the pick five goes, you close it out with him. And and I thought that the interesting off the pace horses were dash attack and uh, smarten up um, a little bit for me more so than glider, who I think is now just a little bit exposed and doesn't really look like all that much. Dash attack's also getting Lasix for the first time, which I think is a little bit of a somewhat noteworthy, given that uh, he did show some real ability early in his career. A little bit interesting in uh, internal fractions wise too. that dash attack, though. Right. Dean's list is going to be tough to down. Dallas, how short are you planning on opening up Dean's list? Yeah, about a tick over even money. Uh, Peter, it's $2.20 at the moment, which is five to four uh, in the fractional markets. Uh, it's favorite. Uh, as we spoke about last week, we expect to be taking a lot of money on this horse. Um, you know, obvious. You, you really don't have to be a, uh, a, a racing super scientist to work it out. You've got a favourite in a in a in a stakes race, ridden by Paco Lopez, trained by Todd Pletcher. You know, it's, they horses like that just are going to get back to no matter what price you put them up at. But we've we've gone up evens, and I, do, I agree with Nick. It does look um, probably uh, or at five to four, I should say. Um, it does look a, probably a better setup for Dean's list this this week. And um, I, I, the horse that I sort of almost like to beat it last week in Glider. Um, as Nick mentioned, with that uh, that withdrawal of the other, uh, who was going to be one of the leaders, probably makes it easier for Dean's List and harder for Glider. So 
look, I, I'm looking at these prices now thinking <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little bit scared that I'm seeing black. I'd like, I think we might, uh, by the time we finish this, that price might be red. That looks a little bit generous to me in that field. So, but at the moment it'll go up, um, it'll go up at five to four, but I, I would probably say shop early to avoid disappointment. <laughs> how, how quickly will you change a price like that, Dallas? Like once um, you say, how do you have to keep it up at a certain number for a certain amount of time? Like, how does that work? Not at all. Basically, basically now that once we've set the markets, um, most of the changes just become a function of the marketplace themselves. So it's just a seesaw. Money comes on that horse that'll shorten the price or if there's a lack of interest in it as a bookmaker or as the person, you know, as a company facilitating the odd setting is basically then you'll try and try and roll that horse out to start getting some action on it. So it's, it's sort of like a um, it's a supply and demand thing. Uh, that uh, from from this point on, when the markets are up, is generally that. Obviously, if there's uh, um, unforecast wet or unfactored in weather changes that come into, or if there's a bit of rain, that'll that'll have it, or or a significant bias as we met, as we spoke about last week. But generally, now when the markets are up, the the, the market is going to be the driver of the uh, the changes itself. So uh, those prices will probably not move until um yeah, until some action starts, and then when it when when it does, it becomes the game of trying to attract clients onto the uh, or punters onto the horses that we want them to back. <laughs> Nick, would you take that five to four, six to five, basically in our betting language or, or, or is it just the right price? Would it be more of a hang fire? Is it too cheeky if I say it depends on what he is on the tote? But, um, <laughs> no, I, you know, I mean, this is a horse who could end up three to five or four to five mm. on the tote. So Easy. yeah. I mean, if, if, if I believe pretty strongly that he can, can win um, that he's supposed to win, then yeah, I'm going to take six to five. So um, uh, in that circumstance, yes, this is a, you know, the funny thing to me about this is that we're so tote oriented in this country. And so getting people to understand that fixed odds opportunities may be the most prolific and the most interesting on horses that are actually shorter prices is going to take some time, but it's going to be fun to see people evolve in in that way of thinking, you know, because there was a long period of time where I would talk to you, Pete, about horses that you maybe had backed with the help of getting some prices overseas. And, you know, and I would think, well, why is he so excited about getting five to one on that horse? And I was like, holy cow, that horse is two to one, right? I mean, that's a huge price. It's a huge disparity. So we're just not conditioned to think that way. But yeah, I mean, this is a circumstance where you wouldn't be, would would any of us be surprised if Dean's list opens at, you know, at one to two, not at all. So getting down at six to five would certainly have a great deal of appeal on that. One more race we're going to talk about. It's the other feature of the day, three and up Philly and mare Jersey breads in the spruce fur handicap six furlongs on the dirt big field of 10 here dallas let's get your overview of the market and see if you have a fancy for us yeah definitely do just calling it up now and uh would you be surprised that paco lopez is on another favorite oh my god uh, <laughs> uh out of out of velocitor is again five uh what is it, six to five in your language or thereabouts two dollars twenty decimal um pretty obvious pick hard Impossible not to do anything other than market the net market at a shorter price favourite. It's ahead of Bramble Boy at the seven to two mark, four dollars sixty in our language, and uh, the next in the betting are Dantastic at six dollars fifty, and Roselba and Jersey Jewel both seven dollars or six to one on the fractional world. What do you think about this, Nick? Who, who, who is is that too short on the favorite? I mean, it does look like a perfect pace setup, but it, it's it's open enough that this is one where I I hesitate a bit more. 
Yeah, it, it's she's she's a deserving heavy favorite. I mean, maybe heavy is a bit much, but she's going to be a pretty solid favorite. The public can see the win at two to one the last time she faced Jersey bread stakes horses at Monmouth with Paco. And um, and the public loves running lines that they can take and equate to the current day. Right. And so you take that line, you put it in even a same distance, you know, similar kind of horses. So I think she's going to be embraced pretty heavily. I guess the horse that you might find some value on is Bramble Bay, depending on how you feel, because Bramble Bay's run some dirt races that, that very much put her in the mix, including the, uh, the Jersey girl last summer, albeit it was on a wet track. So, you know, something worth remembering, but um, that was a dirt race that I think was, was plenty solid enough to be considered a real contender. So if her price were to drift maybe to the, you know, four to one type range, she would become a little bit more interesting as well. Dantastic's the other horse who I would probably give some consideration to taking on a, you know, a price of five to one or so because she's second off the layoff and and really ran a good race last time out. Also should get the benefit of that pace setup. Eight, nine, three, pretty equally for you there, Nick? I would say so. I mean, I think the eight is a likelier winner, but in terms of any any multi-race plays, I mean, I might press the eight a little bit more, but make sure I have plenty of three and nine. Okay, maybe I'll call the eight alone A with the three and nine behind then for you. For notes purposes, Dallas, there's so much other fixed odds questions and such, but you know, we'll have a chance to talk about them again next week. Show's running a little bit long here, so we'll, we'll leave it here for now. But folks, you know, know you can get down to Monmouth. Um, you know, sort of the the the, the first full it is the first full weekend for fixed odds. We should also mention about just give a, a special shout out to June 4th because there's so much happening at Monmouth that day between the pick your prize challenge and the fact that that's really the official launch, yeah. right? Betmakers Day at yeah. Monmouth. We have a do we know what the program is going to look like for that yet? Yeah, but we're just building it up. Uh, Jennifer and our marketing team are doing a terrific job building it out. So, yeah, I mean, this these few first few weeks and even up until that day, it's all about just the gradual build, getting all the processes up and running and uh, um, extending upon week in week. And hopefully uh, that includes actually having a race meeting to go to on a Saturday too, <laughs> so you can go there and make the mistakes and then fix them up. But you need to do that in practice. But, yeah, so I think for Betmakers Day, as you said, June 4, that's going to be the day that we sort of anticipate having um, having it ramped up to another level uh, from what we are now. And, yeah, there'll be heaps of promotion, heaps of free bets, uh, and, uh, you know, just basically trying to trying to push the word around about what Fixed Odds is all about. So there'll be lots of educa educational things going on. Uh, and as well as you know, as I said, lots of lots of lots of giveaways, and um, which they're working on at the moment. And um, yeah, lots of as I said, most most importantly for anyone who likes having a bet, free bets is the best thing to be giving away. We should do a live show. We should do a live show that day. Yep. We're gonna have a lot of people around. We could tie it all in. You know, production meeting in the middle of the show. We'll get that. We'll get that figured out soon. Now, Nick, I presume, especially with you getting here for Belmont and your announcing duties, that you will not be able to be there for June fourth. But I know that's a, a tournament that, that that at least you've had your eye on. Yeah, I've actually never played it. I've wanted to, but it always comes up right before the Belmont, so it's been difficult for me. Yeah, we have a we have five or six stakes races at Sam Houston that night, so unfortunately, I will only be there in spirit. But I'm going to get to Monmouth at some point over the summer for sure, and and stop by and see how everything's going. I, I love Monmouth Park, so the fact that you have this offering now with it just uh, adds to the appeal. You know, we're talking about. I don't know if you're going to be in Saratoga for a Monday, but maybe we'll plan around you. Uh, thinking about doing a bus ride down for you know getting it sponsored etc and doing a bus ride from saratoga to Monmouth day trip for for a monday that that might be an oh, interesting that'd be cool yeah we'll talk about that off air as well all right gentlemen and i use that term loosely we'll be yeah. talking very loosely <laughs>
Today's show is also brought to you by the Golden Hour Double and Pick Four. You're going to be hearing about those in the next segment. We thank our sponsor, Santa Anita. Some really nice wagering opportunities going on there now. The late pick five payout on Saturdays and Sundays, averaging over 4700 for a 50-cent bet. Some big opportunities coming up with Gold Cup weekend, May 28th through May 30th. Gold Rush Day on Saturday, five competitive Calbred races with a $500,000 guaranteed late pick five. You can also compete in the $500 Live Money Challenge on Saturday on Express Bet or on Track. On Track players get a shot at a $5,000 bonus as well. Hollywood Gold Cup Day is on Monday. Three grade ones, $500,000 again guaranteed in the late pick five, as well as a mandatory payout in that rainbow pick six. And there's a $1,500 Gold Cup Challenge on Express Bet or on Track. NHC spots, Pegasus World Cup seats. And once again, On Track players get that shot at the 5K bonus. And of course, you know, we're going to be having the golden hour bets those days. We talk about them all the time. Player friendly, $1 minimum in the pick four, $5 minimum in the double, and a very player friendly 12% takeout. Check it out. Lots of great information on handicapping, etc. over at SantaAnita.com. Check it all out under the handicapping section, SantaAnita.com. Last but not least, we bring in another returning guest to the show. Very happy to have him on from TripNote Pros, one of the best trip handicappers that i know out there in the world um his actual birth name you see it up there on the screen is ryan flanders but around here we call him by his adopted name benny south street benny what's going on buddy it's good to be with you you know i get asked all the time why benny south street and i have to give him the backstory with you giving me my stage name it's kind of funny <laughs> you gotta love guys and dolls it seemed to fit you seem to like it it does seem like you're using you know you're, you're you're more, if you catch this reference, these days you're a bit more Don Novello than you are Father Guido Sarducci. You, you seem to be using your proper name a little bit more. I have no idea what you just made reference to, but I'm going to assume everyone else does. The best references are always the ones you have to explain. There was a comedian who was known when he would go around in the talk show circuits. He was he played a, his character was a priest and his name was Father Guido Sarducci. But in reality, he was a dude named Don Novello who like wrote a bunch of other stuff under his own. Sometimes it's just gotcha. good to have a stage name and a regular name. You got, you know, you can, you could, it gives you more possibilities. It does actually. I can be a jerk if I want to, I can just be Benny. And then if I want to be the nice guy, then I can use my real name. I get I, the best of both worlds. I think that's very shrewd and, and no surprise that you came up with that one. I'm going to put out a plug for a podcast. We did at this point a couple of years ago, maybe I'll even dig and find it. But our pod that we did about your life backstory, I, I hope you got some um, some good feedback on that. Frankly, I'm surprised it hasn't been optioned as a film. I thought it was such a good podcast. You know, it's funny. I've had um, I've had some people want to write a book about my life. It is kind of unique. I mean, we touched on some of the bigger points, but it's my life's it's been uh, interesting. It's been peppered with with uh, a lot of good and bad, mostly good. Uh, but that certainly was an interesting time back when uh, we committed grand larceny versus the Padres. <laughs> and and the Caliente, uh, ba Agua Caliente backstretch came into play in some of those stories. Of too. course, that was a great place. Who? Uh, what kid wouldn't want to grow up in Mexico, eat nachos all day and run the backside of Caliente? It was, it was a great place to grow up. Let's talk for a second about the latest chapter before we dive into some of this handicapping. Trip Note Pros, you guys are doing some great work. I see you, your footprint ever expanding on social media, on media media, on the SantaAnita.com website where you can get free trip notes for the entire meet. 
what are you guys covering? How can folks get involved? What's the latest with the company? Well, we've kind of had a different approach than just going out and trying to get to individuals. So we've, we've been working directly with the tracks. We, uh, we had a great, uh, great uh, spring meet with Keeneland, which we gave our product away for free. And then we're doing the same right now with Santa Anita. It's, it's not too late to sign up. You'll get the last few days that we're doing for them for free. Go to sananita.com forward slash trip note pros. We're basically just setting the table for you where we've got four authors that watch a ton of tape, uh, really good at identifying some subtle trouble and some things that, that can help you along your way when you're playing the horses. Um, and then we've got a, a quick link at TVG, uh, which offers up one or two highlight races per day. Typically that's just Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But if you, if you're a, an age, uh, if your ADW is TVG, you can get in there and get the product there as well. All right, good stuff. Let's talk about this Golden Hour pick four. We kick off at 7.50 on Saturday night with this uh, three-and-up maiden race going a mile on the dirt. We've got a field of six going forward in this one. Benny, how are we going to light this candle? Well, I'm going to be singling here, and it's probably a horse that uh, is going to be a, a good price, and that's Palagio. This is kind of everything that we believe in. This is a trips play. I watched this one on tape. Um this one has sneaky speed. If you watch this one on tape, you'll see in the comment section of the PPs, it says step slow, which is accurate. Um, but he's, he's showing a really quick turn of foot. He's quick, a lot quicker than what it shows on paper. And he lost his path. Some inward horses just came in on him and he couldn't show that speed. He hated the kickback. He was dragged to the middle of the track and he actually galloped out really well. I think he's going to appreciate the added ground. He's a nice price. Victor, what I know about Victor when he draws inside routing is he's a sender. So I expect him to be hard ridden away from the gate. Um, the outside horse, Gojo one, uh, drawn outside today. I expect him to sit. Uh, so I'm hoping Palagio can work out a nice trip on the front end. And if they leave him alone, he becomes very dangerous and he's a square price on the board. That's very, very interesting. In terms of your betting, just going to use Palagio, any others? That's it. Um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, this, I'll take my chance here, and uh, if I'm right, I've got a really good ticket. And if I'm wrong, I can just settle for the golden hour double. Well, there you go. And that is one thing I love about getting aggressive early in these golden hour pick fours. I was going to do that with number two, one more bid. My hope being, you know, Pelagio breaks down inside. I was thinking Gojo 1 might go, but or maybe they could hook up. Maybe it can set up for a horse I think is going to come from just a little bit off the pace, stalking and pouncing. Really, the angle on one more bit is a class angle. We faced a couple of gorillas in Taba and Set Sail, who heads east to contest the Peter Pan on this day. I thought one more bid was interesting for Ryan Hansen and Tyler Bays in this spot. We will see. I think I will certainly, after your strong case, be using the one as a backup in that spot as well. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and put that in my notes. That sends us up north, my friend to their eighth race where we've got three and up fillies in an allowance race going six furlongs on the synthetic. This was a race where you had a very obvious potential favorite in Rose Maddox, who I wanted to use, but I was actually going to make the seven uh, Dulce Emma, the top pick who I just thought should get an absolutely perfect trip. I thought I had the right blend of speed and stamina. It's a horse of a trier. I thought would just get a little bit of a better setup, and I thought was maybe a little bit better suited by the six furlongs today than the five furlongs the last day. How do you see this one? I'm going seven eight. 
I think the eight's a single. Um, I, I've got a few underneath that I'll probably use as Bs. I'll, I'll write some other tickets with the one, the two, and the nine. Um, but I really do like the eight, Rose Maddox. She, she's a terrible gate horse, which always scares me a little bit, but she does tend to, to recover and run her race. I love the fact that she won on debut at Golden Gate, uh, overcoming uh, a poor start and a wide trip, and she beat older. I mean, she beat older at Santa Anita, and she ran lights out uh, on turf against older at Santa Anita. Um, I do think there's some speed in here with a nine and the two drawn far apart from one of the uh, one another. I expect them to go very fast and set it up for the eight. So I think she'll get the trip as well. And and then I do have some some good thoughts on the one code ribbon. I like these two year olds. They move up in their three year old campaign. They tend to improve. I think she's going to sit a nice trip in third. The rail doesn't scare me because I think she'll be forwardly placed. She'll be fresh. Uh, she hasn't run in a little while, so I expect her to be fresh. Love that work pattern. Uh, 112 flat is lights out, uh, followed up with with a, another legitimate work, albeit a, a little bit slower in 14 and 3. So I love that workout pattern. I think she sits a good trip. Um and then the two and the nine, if for, for some reason, those would be Bs for me. If one of them decides to let the other one go, I think uh, the other becomes dangerous. So I would use those as Bs as well. Yeah, we see that so often um, where the two you expect to engage, one ends up getting loose. And yeah, that you can cover your, your bases there by including them both as Bs, as Betty describes. Back down south for the starter allowance for three and up fillies and mares going a mile on the turf that closes out the Santa Anita card and kicks off the golden hour double. Field of 10 goes postward here. Um, who did you like? Well, hopefully I'm alive if, if I start single-single, which gives me an opportunity to kind of play inefficiently here. This is a spread race for me, obviously. Um, I had negative. I love these races where you, I, especially turf races, where to me it's about pace, flow, and trip. And uh, we've got several common runners that are coming out of that March 19th race at Santa Anita. And I had negatives on the two and the three in that race. Um, I also didn't like, uh, I didn't like the eight. I thought the eight had an absolute perfect trip on the lead in that February 18th race where she went wire to wire. So that one was a toss for me. And then I can't, I, I can't toss any of the others. Uh, you know, I want to toss the three because or rather the one, because she's three years old and she's facing older for the first time, but she just had a miserable, miserable trip last time. I think she's much better than what it shows on paper. Same with the four. Four went very fast early last time and really backed into the field. Um, first time routing on turf. I think she's legit. I, I think that the six is interesting. You know, I, this race at Golden Gate, albeit over the synthetic, is is actually pretty good. I went through that field. Five runners in that race, other than her, combined uh, for 24 wins. And this is, these are no world beaters. Um, I think she's legit. I don't think she needs the lead. I think she probably made it last time because she was a little bit fresh. So I, I think she can sit a forward trip and, and, and score at a decent price. And Ron Ellis has been uber hot. Um, like I said, I'm pretty deep here. I'm one, four, five, six, ten, And then I'll pepper in at the seven and the nine on, on small tickets. So I'm really only taking a stand against four horses. Those being the two, three, six, and eight. 
I don't like any of those. I like, the, I think I like the five and the nine coming out of the common race just a little bit more than you do, especially the five who I thought had a particularly tricky run in there, sort of throwing the head at the beginning and just being completely out of position and making a little bit of a run. And then I thought Rose's crystal also, you could conjure some excuses for, I mean, clearly you don't totally disagree as you talked about who you're tossing in that race and you didn't mention them, but yeah, I was, uh, I'll, I'll have to take another look at some of the deeper runners, but I was going to try at least in bets that are kicking off the double piece of things to get out with the five and the nine though, after hearing you talk, I, it doesn't sound like I have enough coverage, does it? I just think it's a, it's a tough race. Um, the five had it, it, all kinds of trouble last time. It's a complete line through. I just, you know, she's two for 15. Um, even though Pratt's not on the circuit, he doesn't choose another, another runner. Man, Pratt off is like, it's really tough. They, so that's interesting. Even when he's not in the same race, I was th thinking the market might like in a weird way, like overrate that. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, Pratt off, but like, he didn't hear. So what is it? It didn't, it didn't really bother me, but you still think it's negative. You know, there, there's, he, I just, if you pay attention to me on civil social media, I'm the president of self-proclaimed <laughs> president of Pr Flavian Pratt's fan club been this for years. You were saying this way before it was cool. You know, I, I'm getting a lot of hate mail now and that's fine. People can keep it coming, but I, I think Pratt is just, he's special and a little, if I'm, if we if we can go down a rabbit hole just a little bit, uh, his ride in the Derby. I mean, if you're really paying attention to what he does, it's so special. He he gets knocked around at the start a little bit and loses his path. He immediately laps. He he targets the correct horse, which is no big deal, right? So he's following epicenter, but in the first turn, if you're really paying attention, he has two choices. He can sneak past him, which it looks like he's going to do and push epicenter wide, which would be a great thing. But instead, he opts to idle and take back because he wants to use that horse as a target. And Rosario takes the bait. He, Rosario, you can see him. He's, getting, he's starting to move outside. He dives inside, and the rest is history. He had a perfect trip all the way around the track. He wasn't good enough, uh, but the ride itself was 10 out of 10 for me. It was a beautiful thing to watch. That's so interesting in a race where I personally have highlighted the Rosario ride, which I thought was pretty brilliant not to, you know, obviously the, the pace told on him too, but to not get caught up in it and to get in a position to win from down at the inside, I thought was impressive. And everybody's going nuts, understandably over the Sonny Leone ride. You make a compelling case that the, the Pratt ride was, was maybe just as good. Yeah. I mean, Sonny did, he, he, what people, he got, he had stopped in the turn too. Right. So Rich Strike moved outside and got put into a box uh, and he had to have some good fortune to end up cutting back to the inside later. But um, you know, I loved Zandon going in. I don't love him coming out because uh, I just thought he had a perfect trip. What's he that? Go, he doesn't want to go that far, does he? Isn't that the issue with him? Sure didn't look that way. He had everything cut aside he from the start. To win the race. He went there to win the race, and he got turned away by a horse to me that had a tougher trip in terms of pace dynamics. Well, Epicenter was one I actually thought did not have a great trip because for five furlongs, he, he moved into the teeth yeah. of that very, very oh, hot pace. Yeah. And I thought Epicenter was best by here to the bunker. I, I basically agree. I'm basically on record saying so. I, I like it when we agree because we don't always, but when we do, it's usually fairly potent. <laughs> All right. I don't agree with a lot of people often. So, <laughs> well, that's good. That's you're 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 a contrarian, and that's why you're good at what you do. Let's talk about this pay leg, my friend. 
Race number nine at Golden Gate on Saturday, 8.15, the scheduled post time for this field of 10. Three-year-old maidens, five and a half on the synthetic. You know what I'm going to say. How are we going to get paid? Well, again, hopefully I'm still alive and it gives me an opportunity to play inefficiently. I'm uh, I'm six deep here. I actually reached out to the chart caller at Golden Gate, number one union gig. Very interesting that the posted fractions and the PPs are not the same as the as the fractions that showed up in the replay booth. Um, those were 2181, 4521, and finished in 10354. So if those are accurate, it uh, doesn't look like quite as big as a meltdown as, as it should have been. And this horse did not have a good trip. Uh, he held his high, his head high right out of the gate. He missed the start. So to me, it's not a horse that just isn't quick. Um, he kind of made a, a goofy mistake uh, leaving the gate. And he actually showed pretty good speed to get back into the race. So the one was going to be a use for me. Um I like the, there were there are a few that were troubled out of the gate, and I'll be using all of those because they all ran on just fine. Those would be uh, the one, the four. Um, let's see who else did we have here, and the eight. Uh, th those all three of those trips were just miserable. I love the workout uh, workout pattern on the ten. I'm not a big fan of the the pedigree given. Uh, that he's bred to run about a mile and a half. Yeah. How can but I horse, love. How can this not be too sharp for for this horse with the curling and an AP Indy dam going five yes. and a half? I mean, this is hard. this is true. I I agree with you, but I love the five eight gate five eight gate work pattern. And one thing that that I will say is, you know, good horses can win at any distance. They just run better at their preferred distance. So first time out. I, the workout pattern to me is, is too good where I will be using the 10. Um, and I find it interesting that, that, uh, that Miotti's got him up there as well. Uh, trying over the synthetic. Um, the seven was going to be a use for me as well. I know it's, you know, a maiden claiming race, but if you watch this one on tape, wow, is this one fast, absolutely rank and pulling it shows a tracking trip. That's true. But they had about five lanes clear of the nearest stalker and was just dragging this rider around. Don't see a whole lot of speed in here. That one could get loose and become dangerous uh, as well. So I had uh, one, four, five. Love the work pattern on the five as well. Two very sharp five-eighths works followed up with a gate work. Thought that was a very solid work pattern. So one, four, five, seven, eight, ten. Big old spread for Benny to close things out at Golden Gate. You do make a good point. I'm not going to use the horse, but this horse, the 10, a roller coaster ride. I'm talking about this like it's Saratoga and it's Golden Gate. And so you might well be right. Even if the horse is seen suboptimally compared to his ability, it could easily still be enough to win a synthetic maiden at Golden Gate. So I, maybe I was being too harsh with that one. I love the four. I loved Smiling Val in this spot. A lot of angles that I like. You mentioned the trip. I totally agree that that was impossible. And you have the fact that this horse was bet to four to one on debut. That indicates to me that Smiling at Val has more speed and then just didn't break that day. So I think this horse is going to have a lot more pace and has a lot of room to improve. Did some running on debut. I was going to press Smiling at Val for sure. And, and I'm very intrigued by your point about Union Gig and will be including the one as a backup as well. Maybe I'll get super spready with all your runners. Oh, I shouldn't. That term means something else these days. Maybe I'll, I'll get very inclusive and, uh, and include a few more of your backups uh, 
on some combinations, but my official reckoning of the race is going to be the four as an A and the one as a B. Any other final thoughts from you, Benny, before we uh, send this episode of the show home? Come on out to Santa Anita, uh, May 28th. I'll be there. We'll be doing a little work for karma. Come on out, take care of the horses. Have a great day at the great race place. I, I am a little curious what, what does super spreader mean? You got me a little thinking, I don't know what that means, but you know, you, you, I, I was thinking of it in terms of the pandemic. You know, oh, I got you. Yeah, of course. Uh, you don't want to have anything to do. You don't want to have anything to do with it, with, with, with that, as far as that goes. And for those that don't know, you know, we love aftercare around here, obviously since day one, we've been associated with the thoroughbred retirement foundation and we have always, you can help them over at trfinc.org slash players. But for those that don't know, California retired um, management account, karma uh, is a 501 C three dedicated to uh, funding, rehabilitation, retraining, etc. Important organization out there in california that benny's working with so yeah show up what's what's the date of your appearance you're doing i believe it's the 28th i know it's the weekend of the 28th but i'm i'm 90 sure it's may 28th go hang out with benny see santa anita is such a beautiful place and if you don't if, if you happen to be out of touch and don't like flavian platt pratt you can also just try to knee him in the plums <laughs> love it all right, good stuff. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for your insights as ever. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll thank, let's see if I can remember them all. Usually I take notes. So the, today we're going to do it on the fly. I think I can do it. We're going to thank JK. We're going to thank Nick Tamara, who did three separate segments with us. Jessica Paquette, who was so, so good on the questions about uh, Rich Strike's behavior after the race and all that stuff. Dallas Baker, Benny South Street, uh, really appreciate your contributions. Most of all, and I haven't said this enough recently, most of all, want to appreciate all of you, the listeners and viewers, for making these shows so much fun to do and are giving us so much support of this content on YouTube where you should rate, review, and subscribe. And also uh, wherever you get your podcasts, especially iTunes, where we appreciate if you subscribe to the In The Money media feed. Our founding partners just talked about TRF. What about 10 Strike Racing? They've been here since the beginning too. Love to root for the purple and black. It was great to hang out with Clay Sanders in Kentucky. And then uh, next week, I get to hang out with Marshall Graham in at uh, Baltimore. Going to go to a couple baseball games. Going to have some fun. We're covering all our bases with our friends at 10 Strike. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornitel. May you win all your photos.